I would like to call to order the City Council meeting of September the 19th, 2023. Tonight's meeting is a hybrid meeting. Community members are welcome to join us either in person or remotely through Zoom or by telephone. Clerk, will you please call the roll? Councilmember Nixon? Here. Councilmember Black? Here. Councilmember Curtis? Here. Councilmember Falcone? Here. Councilmember Pascal? Here. Deputy Mayor Arnold? Here. Mayor Sweet. Here, thank you. Our study session tonight is on two topics. First, the annual update on the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging DEIB Roadmap. Second, an update <coughs> on the Transportation Master Plan. We expect to reconvene our regular meeting at approximately 7.30. Manager. Okay, thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, so uh, here to provide our first presentation, our DEIB, up, excuse me, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging update um, is our um, DEIB manager Erica Moscoro, and we're also being joined by Deputy City Manager Jim Lopez, who is with us virtually, um, and also her team, Don Robinson, our Senior Community Engagement Coordinator. And so we have about 45 minutes for this topic, and then the second topic will be the Transportation Master Plan, and we'll swap out at that time. So please take it away, Erica. Thank you so much, City Manager. Good evening, City Council, Mayor, Deputy City Mayor. I am pleased to be here with you tonight to deliver the annual diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging roadmap update. Um, as our city manager mentioned, my name is Erica Mascorro, and I am the DIB manager. And I am accompanied tonight by Don Robinson, our senior community engagement coordinator. And I'd like to introduce an, our other DIB team member who's not present, uh, Carmen Anderson. Here are the presentation components. I will begin the update with a few introduction slides that provide some background. And next, I will briefly go through some highlights of all the comprehensive roadmap uh, objectives update as detailed in the memo. Then I will review some of the upcoming priorities for the DIB team for the last quarter of this year. And last, um, we'd love to hear from you, your comments and questions on our work. So now let me turn your attention to the introduction slides. We will begin with the DIB roadmap structure. But before I dive in, um, I do want to take a moment to thank all of you council members for your support and guidance throughout the work on our DIB roadmap for adopting it. It's through this uh, very important work that we find our critical elements that are paving the way for our city to become more equitable, inclusive, and welcoming to all. So now diving in, the five-year roadmap is a living document that was adopted on July 5th, 2022. This first iteration of the roadmap includes 68 objectives, including objective 15.2, ongoing feedback and update process for the roadmap, a process outlined for council, staff, and community members to modify or add objectives to the roadmap. The organizational structure of the document has three main components, the goal area, goal, and objective, each with an actionable item. 
Here on the slide, you see the six goal areas, which I used also to organize the information on the memo and this presentation. Continuing with the roadmap structure, the roadmap is action-oriented, organizational-wide. Internally, it is centered in the city manager's office, the highest level of leadership. And externally, it is centered on the community through building networks. The work on the roadmap is ongoing. It lives and it never ends. Moving on to the roadmap status. We deemed each objective as either complete, in progress, or pending, meaning complete objectives are those that have been implemented. In progress are those objectives that staff have undertaken in implementing but still require further work. And pending, which are objectives that the staff has action forthcoming. Thus far, we have completed 37 out of the 68 objectives, 24 are in progress and seven pending. I do wanna highlight that this work spans throughout the organization. And I wanna thank all the department directors and their staff for their demonstrated enthusiasm and support on the DEIB work. Council, I want you to know that the staff has gone above and beyond the action items outlined in the roadmap. The directors have undertaken action furthering DIB that was not articulated in the roadmap. And now let's get started with the roadmap update. Even though staff has done work outside of the objectives, this update relates only to the work outlined in the roadmap. Council, since you received detailed information on each objective on the memo, I will only highlight a few objectives per goal area. Jumping in, goal area number one, leadership, operation, and services. Goal one, here I'm going to highlight objective 1.6, decreasing barriers to serving on city council boards and commissions. I have been participating in discussions with the Salary Commission, who typically meet only once a year. But in fall of 2022, they decided they would meet several times in consider consideration of updating the council's salary to make it possible for underrepresented community members to become council members. The Salary Commission has also been very thoughtful in discussing other elements that might make non-white, non-affluent people feel marginalized in participating as a council member. The next Salary Commission meeting is scheduled for this coming Friday, and I will be there. The next goal number two. Here I want to highlight the incredible work that Deputy Manager Goldberg and staff did to complete Objective 2.2, Community Responder Program, now known as the Regional Crisis Response Agency, in partnership with four other cities to bring the region mental health emergency response services to better support the community when in crisis. And highlight Objective 2.4, School Resource Office Program Evaluation Now Complete and Sunset. Starting in September 2023, Kirkland schools will no longer have school resource officers assigned to specific schools. The new program features three community resource officers, 
or we call them CROs, to be the first point of contact between police and the school district on law enforcement issues. The CROs will not be stationed in any one school, but instead will be available to respond to a school whenever needed. Moving forward to goal three, I would like to highlight objective 3.3, welcoming America certification. First, let's take a moment to highlight our City Hall for All event that happened a, few, a couple of weeks ago. It was an amazing event. I, I couldn't have asked for more. <laughs> um, it, it took all hands on deck, all staff across the organization, including you, City Council. And what a turnout. We had approximately 3,000 people stop by throughout the day, a very diverse crowd. This event is the city's annual welcoming week event. Besides the cool podcast crew that gave the event a heartbeat, we had the ever popular Truckapalooza, the pop-up market, the department informational booths with all the swag. And you may not know this since you were outdoors, but indoors we had city hall tours happening simultaneously in Russian, Mandarin, Cantonese, Spanish, Portuguese, and English. And our first city of Kirkland sensory room uh, for children and adults with autism and other special needs to provide them a quiet, cool, therapeutic space to rest. This year's Welcoming Week event was special to the DIB team as we have begun the process to obtain the Welcoming America certification. Here on this slide, you can see the Welcoming America list of cities across the U.S. that have been designated as welcoming, and on the far right, the cities that are in progress to obtain their certification. The city of Kirkland will need to complete a self-assessment document to be submitted by November 13th, and our audit date is scheduled for December 13th, depending on the availability of our community partners that will stand with us in the audit. Once we pass the audit, the city of Kirkland will be the first city designated as a welcoming city in the state of Washington. And now moving forward to goal area two, plans, policies, and budgets. For goal four, I want to highlight objective 4.1, equity impact assessment tool. This tool is a list of DIB Title VI related questions to help staff apply the DIB lens to their work. The tool has been completed, and this fall we will be running tests with staff and community partners before rolling it out to all staff across the organization. I also want to highlight objective 4.2, comprehensive plan and other long range planning. Um, this, process, uh, this process our comp team has been using through the middle of their community engagement process and last fall they completed their equity review and community engagement plan work that made this objective complete. And now continuing to goal area five, here I want to highlight objective 5.2, city work program. Thank you again, council, 
uh, for making inclusive and equitable community as your first goal in the foundation for the future of the city of Kirkland. Next is goal six. I want to highlight the work that our finance team is doing to create a shift in how and where the city is spending money, creating measures to establish baselines that will help us make sure that the needle is moving towards a more equitable community. And now I want to talk a little bit about goal area three, workplace and workforce. This entire work area is composed of goals seven, eight, and nine, and it belongs to our human services department. Here on the first photo is the mighty HR team that is working towards ensuring that our future workforce brings in diversity, that our current workforce has the training and career development needed to continue growing, and that we capture and create change to make the city of Kirkland a place we all love. The next two slides show goal areas eight and nine, and again, all um, work that the HR department is working on. I really enjoyed putting these slides together um, as I was looking for photos of different events uh, where staff participated. Here on this particular slide, we have uh, that bottom photo of our Women's Summit. And uh, up to the left, our fire department um, doing emergency response training. And then top right, we have our public works crew that helped us clean up our pride crosswalk before our ribbon cutting. And now um, we're gonna go into goal area number four, community partners. So our next goal is 10. Here I highlight objective 10.1, equity and contracting policy and program. The finance department, along with the DIB team, completed this summer three contracting training sessions in partnership with the Washington State Office of Minority and Women Business Enterprise. There was 30 business th businesses that participated, which I think it's not bad for our first round of trainings. And next on goal 11, objective 11.2, community group training. I think this work will be exciting uh, to those of you that have asked to expand the Kirkland Initiative program to other groups. Staff is currently developing a pilot for a, a school group to supplement their civics class by providing insight on how the city operates and provides services to its residents. This program is in partnership with our Human Services Division and can potentially become a student version of the Kirkland Initiative program. This pilot will serve as the basis for further development by staff of learning modules that can be provided for other school children and other community members uh, with focus on black, indigenous, other people of color or BIPOC and immigrant students and community groups. 
Next, we have a super fun event highlighted for goal 12, objective 12.1, relationship building with community groups. This summer, the city really connected with the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex, and asexual plus, or LGBTQIA plus here on after. Community groups in the region through the funding and support from our council in asking that the city install the first Pride Crosswalk. Our ribbon cutting event was attended by LGBTQIA plus community groups, residents and elected officials from all levels of government to stand together in solidarity with our council and staff to support in making our LGBTQIA plus community feel welcomed. Next, another important goal area, number five, communication and education. Here on goal 13, I'm going to highlight objectives 13.1.2 and 0.3 together as they work off, uh, they dovetail uh, into one another. The DIB team is working on a language access plan that through leadership guidance with would like to link to ongoing work of Title VI compliance. The DIB team is using the language access tool provided by the U.S. Department of Justice to ensure that that link to Title VI is there. The Employee Bilingual Pay Program will be a component of the language access plan. The next step here is for the DIB team to complete developing a survey for staff to learn about the, the way staff uh, does language access in their work and evaluate what is needed to provide better services to the non-English speaking residents. Next is goal 14. Here I'm going to briefly highlight objective 14.2, the city leadership program, also known as the Kirkland Initiative, an eight week civics curriculum developed by staff from every department in the city we had much success with our first one, and I wanna thank all the directors for the time that they took, they dedicated in delivering this project, and a special thanks to our city manager and deputy city manager, Jim Lopez, for making it extra special conducting the Symphony of Government content week by week. The DIB team plans to host this program annually. This is one of my favorite slides, goal 15, highlighting objective 15.5, host, sponsor, and support DIB learning opportunities. There were two very special events that the city sponsored and supported this year. Juneteenth, a regional event now annually hosted at Juanita Beach Park, and hosted for the first time in Kirkland, the Africans on the East Side Fashion Show, which we hope becomes an annual event. Both events were learning opportunities that were rich in culture and history. The DIB team was very happy to be able to support these events. Finally, our last goal area, number six, facility and system improvements. And now we're on the home stretch. Here, I'm going to focus on goal 17, objective 17.1 and 17.2. Staff in different departments have been working to standardize data sources that now we can implement into the CIP equity impact assessment tool. 
The first iteration of this tool was completed a year ago by the finance and IT GIS teams. We have reconvened to expand the tool using internal and external data sources. On this slide, the screen you see is the new face of our IT GIS, the, our new face that the IT GIS team has updated. We will continue to work on this valuable tool, not only to be used for CIP purposes, but throughout the organization for different projects, including the equity impact assessment tool. Here is the last goal area, 18. Uh, here I'm highlighting objectives 18.1 and 18.3. 18.1, cooling and warming center activation. Our Office of Emergency Management has worked to develop an opera operationalized guide for the establishment and operation of human and pet temporary cooling warming centers for extreme weather situations. And last to be highlighted, objective 18.3, maintaining and expanding opportunities to internet access. This objective directed the city to make, to explore options to make fiber as part of new construction projects or major reconstructions in a cost-effective and efficient manner to deliver service to all our residents, especially those who are econom economically challenged. This will be a topic included in the forthcoming Smart City Master Plan. This last objective highlight concludes the roadmap update portion of the presentation. And now I would like to direct your attention over to the DIB team's uh, upcoming priorities for the last quarter of this year. The DIB team is the city's liaison to both the Library Board and the Cultural Arts Commission. The DIB team took the assignment to staff the Library Board during the, this spring, and tomorrow night at the Cultural Arts Commission September meeting, the DIB team will officially become the commission's staff. The DIB team feels that both groups' work is DIB-centered that the work is centered on DIB and we are thrilled to staff and take part. Moreover, on the DIB's uh, team's next steps is the evaluation of the roadmap. With several objectives being completed, the DIB team will pause to evaluate the work completed to determine next steps for each objective. The results of this evaluation will outline the following iteration of the DIB roadmap. As previously mentioned, the roadmap is organized by goal area, goal, objective, and action items. This evaluation will add or modify the roadmap only in the objective and or the action item areas and will not change the goal areas or goals. Although a comprehensive roadmap evaluation is forthcoming, the DIB team has the following items on its current list of potential objectives that are being considered for the next iteration of the roadmap, which have arisen from community or council feedback and from internal analysis. These following items listed are here only because the DIB team have started conversations around this work and would like to document these items on the roadmap. 
These projects are not the only ones that will be considered, and I am sure there will be more coming after your recommendations and our evaluation of the roadmap. Here listed are, staff will be updating the DIB web page, making it easier to explore the roadmap specific work plan items and events. Next is a much needed policy or guidance for staff around the, a cultural calendar. We need to formalize the current practice for scheduling um, city events to be responsive to major religious and cultural observances when possible, including, including guidance and training provided to city contractors, partners, and event organizers for events sponsored by the city. Next, sensory safe places plan. The creation of this plan would help staff to implement sensory safe places into city community events and meetings to be inclusive of the neurodivergent community. For example, during the City Hall for All planning, staff added a sensory safe room late in the planning process, which was located in the Peter Kirk room. We were delighted to see it used by so many people in the way it was intended throughout the event. We also added a sensory safe 30 minutes for Truckapalooza before the event officially started. The DIB team wants to build on this to see how we can incorporate this concept into future city community events and meetings. Similar to having a designated breastfeeding room, sensory safe rooms are an inexpensive way that we can make our events more inclusive. Next is community-friendly special events permitting process. The current permitting process is intimidating and not user-friendly for nonprofit groups. We want for cultural groups, including those whose first language is not English, to feel comfortable with this process to increase community cultural events in the city. Next, partnership with the Lake Washington School District. This project would entail delivering a curriculum to immigrant students in Kirkland schools that do not speak English. I know that there was some questions about this project specific to the development of the curriculum. The DIB team would not be developing the curriculum itself. Uh, this work is in partnership with the Lake Washington School District. This project came to us as a request from the DIB staff at Kamayakan Middle School to have me speak to immigrant students that don't speak English. The goal is to help uplift the students through the hard work they have ahead in learning English to succeed in their studies through sharing my personal shared story. The DIB team sees this opportunity not only to connect with students, but also with their parents and to learn how we can better serve these residents in our community. And last, um, we would like to document and, and create a, a form that would serve staff on changing outdated language um, that does not reflect DIB. For example, we we continue to use master plan. And so we would like to update um, terms that are outdated. And with that, I conclude my update. Council, thank you so much for reading my very long memo and uh, sitting through this very long presentation. I appreciate you. Uh, the remainder of this presentation is to listen to your comments and questions.
Thank you. Excellent. I see Amy's hand first. Councilmember Falcone. Oh. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, thank you so much, um, Erica for, and team for that great update. Um, it's wonderful to see so much progress. We have a lot to be proud of. I mean, <clears throat> I think most of us attended the City Hall for All. I was really happy to see you highlight that. That really was a beautiful event in so many ways. Each year it's just growing and growing. And this year was by far the best one yet. So kudos to you and, and all of the staff and all the community members for coming out to that. Um, you know, we've said many times that this is a living document. You mentioned tonight that it's ongoing and it lives. Um, so I'm happy to see us continue to focus on that and that there will be a like a, um, a larger refresher of the roadmap coming soon. Uh, um, not surprising, I do have a lot of feedback, but <laughs> I gave my long list of, uh, of um, feedback to Kurt earlier. So rather than read through it all to save us some time, um, I just know and trust that staff has it and they'll consider it moving forward. Uh, there's nothing really controversial in my list. Um, just to give you a little flavor, it's things like, uh, you know, item 14.2. I'm happy to see, as you mentioned tonight, Erica, that staff is working on um, a youth version of the Kirkland Initiative. I know we've um, been hoping that that was coming down the, the pipeline, so happy to see that. Um, asking staff to consider 12.3 under 16.2. 12.3 is diversifying boards and commissions and 16.2 is stipends for community input. I want us to consider that. I know that um, uh, financial burden is often a barrier to folks even applying for boards and commissions. There were some folks who I know wanted to apply for the recent transportation commission openings and weren't able to because you know they may miss um, a shift at their job to attend the meetings and um, lack of a stipend was a barrier to them to participate. So I'd love to see uh, those two goals uh, looked at simultaneously where they overlap. 12.4 uh, in equitable and welcoming third places. This is a, the comp plan updates that we're working on is a perfect place to incorporate this. So I'm really happy to see um, that goal on there that we'll be moving forward with. 12.1, uh, we talk about building relationships with organizations. And right now the language says that serves a long list of different underrepresented demographic groups. I'd really love to see us change not only the language, but the lens there to be instead of groups that serve these groups, groups that represent, organizations that represent this group. We've all heard uh, in many different conversations uh, in the disability community and um, racial justice uh, activists, the phrase nothing about us without us. And it's really important that we partner with organizations that don't just serve or um, speak on behalf of a population, but that actually represent that population. So I just want to make sure that that's our focus in building relationships is with organizations that actually represent um, and are led by folks of that organization and not just serving those, those um, populations. Um, I won't go through my other like 20, 30 something <laughs> items on my list. Uh, I am really glad to see the last item that was on your slide, Erica, about the focus items for quarter four of this year. Uh, about the updating outdated language in a lot of our city documents. I know this is something that Councilmember Curtis and I have brought up probably countless times over the past four years. So I'm really, really glad to see that be a specific item that's called out for us to continue to work on. So 
Really great job. Thank you so much for not making me go through every single uh, bullet point of my um, feedback. And I'm really excited to see where we continue to go next. Thank you. Thank you so much, Council Member Falcone. Your feedback's very appreciated. Can I go to Deputy Mayor Arnold? Thank you, Madam Mayor. And thank you, Erica, for the presentation and the details in here. The, the, a lot of impressive uh, progress in getting through so much of a five-year roadmap in, uh, in the, since the last update in the year. The thing that I want to emphasize, though, that I'm most impressed with is your statement that departments have undertaken action furthering DIB that go beyond what's articulated. Because what we're looking for here in looking to um, eliminate systemic racism is that cultural change. And it's great to hear that it's taking uh, root throughout the organization. So thank you for your work. Really appreciate the chance to drill into all the successes in detail. Thank you, Deputy Mayor. Uh, Councilmember Curtis. Thank you, Madam Mayor, and thank you, everyone. Excuse me. <clears throat> I'm sorry I'm not there with you. And this is bringing back the pandemic. It's very strange to be on back on Zoom doing a council meeting. Um, Erica, I just have to congratulate you and your team. This work is phenomenal. It's so impressive. And when you look at the long list of things that have been accomplished in the last year, uh, it's it's stunning, frankly. And I love your story about Kamayakan Middle School reaching out to you. I love the idea that you're seen as a community resource and an opportunity to support. So well done. Um, I'm proud that you're representing us. Um, I, I want to throw in my congratulations on City for Hall. It was an amazing day. So many wonderful things happen. And one of the things I loved in particular was the pop-up market. And this is the problem with success because I immediately go, when can we do that again? What are other opportunities to provide uh, that kind of opportunity for those vendors? That was just a really, really nice addition to the program. Um, we have been really focused on our internal processes, so I see this as as we move forward, we're now looking at the out, outside and what can we do to support our community. Um, I like that you are looking at what we can do to support businesses, neighborhood associations, business organizations, how to help them become more supportive, welcoming, and inclusive. I think that's really um, important work, and I think we have a lot to add there. Um, I'm pleased that you've been you highlighted boards and commissions one of the things as far as i'm aware of that we haven't done yet that i'm sure is on your to-do list is we need to have that feedback loop with our boards and commission members on how is your onboarding are you enjoying the work why are you leaving the commission what has your last eight years been like just so we know what the experience of serving on a board of commission is and that will help inform us uh, on how to do it better. Um, I would like to look at the application again. I noticed last time that we didn't ask for pronouns. It's just little things like that that I think we can improve on. Um, oh, and then the last comment, um, I'm, as Councilmember Falcone said, really excited about this proactive community engagement network. I'd love to learn more what kind of, um, uh, what kind of projects are we getting them involved in? What is our strategy for that? So again, thank you, well done. Thank you so much, Council Member Curtis. Appreciate it.
Okay, I'm going to close it up with, I love this. I love that we hired you. I love that Don joined us. And I cannot believe the amount of work that you have accomplished in one short year. Um, you talk about the living document and about the fact that this, this work is, lives and it never ends. That is so real. Because it's really not a living document. This is a living behavioral change. It's a cultural mo movement for our whole organization. And I, I'm so impressed. Um, I never thought we would accomplish this much this quickly. And we're growing things to improve as we go along. City Hall for All, amazing. Kirkland Initiative, amazing. Everything we've done this year, pretty much amazing. Um, you've incorporated council in, in degrees or in, in ways that we've been, not been incorporated in the past and it's really, I think, given us the opportunity to build relationships within our community as well. Um, I do need a little help though when I talk to people lately I keep telling them we're going to, to go through a master planning process for Houghton. So work on that language stuff as soon as you can. So thanks to you and, and to your team. Thank you so much. That means a lot, Mayor. Thank you. Okay, anybody else? Okay, Erica, thank you. Thank you so much. I'll turn it back to you, City Manager. Okay, thank you. So we just need a second to switch out our presentations here. <clears throat> thank you, Erica. Uh, our next one is our transportation master plan update. And yes, we will evaluate our language going forward. Uh, but here to make that presentation is our transportation planner, Kim Scribner. And I think she has a variety of folks joining her who are, she's gonna introduce. Our Doug, are you joining us for the first time? Ah, welcome. So my no apologies, pressure, Doug. introduce yourself. No pressure. Thank you, everybody. Good evening. Uh, good evening, Madam Mayor, members of the council. My name is Doug McIntyre. I'm the transportation manager. And we are here tonight to talk to you about the transportation master plan, otherwise known as the TMP. Uh, with me tonight are Kim Scribner, our transportation planner, as well as Fred Young, our uh, consultant on the project. Um, just a couple quick notes before I turn it over to Kim. Um, so first of all, the TMP is a critical document for the city. It, is, it drives uh, a big portion of our work plan uh, and covers everything from policies to projects. So um, it's a, a very important document and uh, we wanna have a really good discussion tonight. We understand it's your first um, touch on the TMP. Um, and in recognition of time, we did try to be cognizant of cutting down uh, the presentation as much as we could to focus on the main uh, point, which is to get discussion and input from the council on goals. So um, with that, I will turn it over to Kim. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Um, thank you, city manager, uh, Mayor Sweet, council. Happy to see you all. Um, let me pull up the... Share screen. That's going to be my next one. Great, thank you. Um, you will note 
that um, for our public engagement, um, I, I have started to remove the term master <laughs> from the TMP. Um, that we've considered that, and so we still are using that acronym, but um, it has something that um, we'll look forward to talking about a little bit more. Um, so I'm just gonna give a little bit overview of um, the transportation plan, and then I'm going to hand it off to Fred Young um, to go over our uh, update to our goal structure. So the 2015 plan was our first transportation master plan. It is a 20-year document. We are working hand-in-hand -hand with our comprehensive plan, so it's still the 20-year planning horizon, and we will be looking at, we're addressing existing and future conditions and looking at all the modes and all the ways that people travel. So the plan really serves two functions. Um, it will become the transportation element of the comprehensive plan, and really the, the core pieces of it will become the transportation element, so the goals and policies and the uh, fiscally constrained and prioritized project list. Um, but the TMP is also, it's, it is its standalone plan, and so it will expand um, on the comprehensive plan and the transportation element to provide a lot more detail and context, additional maps that might not be carried into the comprehensive. Um, so with that, um, as we said, we're gonna keep that short and sweet um, for the introduction. Um, I'll wrap it up at the very end, um, but there's a lot more information in your packet um, about the background and the public engagement process that we've gone through so far. So with that, I will hand it over to Fred. Hello, everybody. Uh, Fred Young, I'm with Parametrics, uh, transportation planner. And I've been working with Kim and your colleagues at the city for about the past five months um, to develop this. And moving into the draft goal. So, <clears throat> um, so we're, we're really building on what is, came out of the 2015 uh, master plan and updating those goals and, and policies. That is really the foundation that we're updating. Um, and what, you're gonna, what we're gonna walk through tonight is, is the result of several robust discussions with the Transportation Commission as well as city staff. City staff have been working on this um, for the last several years, really looking at old uh, goals and policies and, and making note about what could be updated in this next round of the update for the master plan. Um, and so the goals and policies will update, um, will reflect uh, progress made since 2015, as well as consider, considering uh, emerging topics and trends and practices that are within the industry. So this is a really high-level overview of what we're going to walk through. I have a, we have a slide for each one of the 2015 um, goals, and then we'll, show, we'll have a little discussion about what our proposed action is and what the proposed update is for those. So I'm going to go through um, each of these one by one, and I think it might be most, most useful, at least we found this in, during the Transportation Commission meetings, to have a, have a short discussion about each of those as we're going through it, just so that we're all on point. Oops. And we do have um, nine or so to go through. So uh, first goal from 2015 uh, TMP uh, is based around safety. Um, the goal says by 2020, 2035, eliminate all transportation-related fatal and serious injury crashes in Kirkland. We have decided that that is a viable 
um, admirable goal to maintain. Um, and that is supported across um, multiple discussions. Does anybody want to chime in? Or I, I'm open for discussion. If we could go through these and discuss at the end, or we could discuss as we go through. At the end. At the end, okay. <laughs> this is your council I'm, I'm, I'm visiting. Well, we agree with this one. Oh, yeah, good. <laughs> Great. Um, so 2015 uh, TMP goals, there are two um, that we would, we're proposing to combine. One is walking, the other is bicycling, and we're proposing to group those into an active transportation goal. And this is really um, reflective of the overlap of these two modes, as well as funding um, that is often aligned towards active transportation. So the new goal, would um, the new proposed the proposed name of the new goal is active transportation and the goal statement is create and maintain a high quality network of complete and connected low stress walking and bicycling facilities including sidewalks trails crosswalks and bikeways making active transportation a first choice for many trips And I'll go through, right? That's what we said? Okay. The next one um, from the 2015 plan is public transportation. Um, this one really um, keeping the, um, uh, the focus of it, the goal name, but updating the statement just a little bit to better reflect um, uh, coordination across the region. So uh, the new, new goal statement through coordinate through coordination with regional agencies and improvements within the city of Kirkland, the city will support and promote a transit system as a high value option for many trips. The next one is uh, from 2015, there's a goal focused on motor vehicles. Um, this one, um, we're not suggesting any change to the goal statement, but rather a change to the goal name, better to reflect um, uh, the uh, guiding principles that are in the, in the guide focused on sustainability and mode shift, shifting uh, modes away from single occupancy vehicles. Um, so really, we had a lot of discussion about a new goal name for this one. What we landed on was vehicle network management. So really looking at the entire network and managing that as a whole. So that's all vehicles, all modes within that. But really, this one is um, uh, the policies that will fall out on the fall into this one will be more focused towards uh, motor vehicles. But really thinking about it holistically. Uh, the next one is uh, from 2015. There was a link to land use goal. That one um, we noticed that it is really the the narrative or the text in that one f really felt like it was subservient to uh, to land use. Um, and when in reality, there's really a, a good direct link between land use and transportation. They really go hand in hand. So this one was really strengthening the the language in uh, the goal statement to say coordinated or coordinate transportation and land use planning and policies to ensure future growth is supported and sustained by a livable, walkable, connected, and transit-oriented city. The next one, uh, 2015, uh, be sustainable. And uh, we changed the name a little bit to sustainability. 
Uh, and this is really focused on um, adding a little bit more detail. The, the original one was really focused on sustainable um, systems of the uh, transportation infrastructure um, versus more holistic thought about <clears throat> sustainability. So um, thinking about greenhouse gas reductions, uh, stormwater, um, air quality, that kind of thing. So goals, the new goal statement says allocate resources to ensure existing assets and future growth of the transportation system are adequately maintained. Minimize transportation environmental impacts through mode shift, stormwater mitigation, and greenhouse gas reduction efforts. So city staff had a comment to add to this for consideration. Um, council may consider creating a separate maintenance goal. So really pulling maintenance out of sustainability um, and really having, having those two separated. Um, that's just something that we could discuss um, when we get to that point. Uh, the next one, um, nothing in 2015 explicitly said anything about uh, equity. So this is a new goal. Uh, the goal statement says the transportation system should address the mobility needs of all people, regardless of age, ability, income, or background, while prioritizing the needs of the most vulnerable users to advance the city's commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. The next one is, um, again, another new um, uh, proposed goal. Uh, this one is focused on technology and emerging practices. And this one really tries to take into account that there's so much change happening in transportation these days um, and really kind of giving that a place to, to live until it really emerges as something really standalone. Um, so this is, the uh, goal sta statement says, uh, the transportation system should be flexible and equipped to adapt to new technologies and innovative solutions that expand mobility choices for people living and working in Kirkland. Just a couple more. Um, be an active uh, partner was from the 2015 um, TMP. Um, this one we're proposing is removed um, from, the, uh, from the current plan. Uh, this one is uh, really taking those active partner policies and moving them into some of the other goals. Explicitly the um, transit um, uh, or the public transportation goal, um, engaging with and partnering with um, transit agencies that, that are regional players. So that's really pushing this into other goals where it makes more sense. And then uh, there's a consideration for this is to keep this um, as a goal um, uh, and include really the importance of maintaining partnerships with external organizations. Uh, transportation measurement was another one from 2015, and this one we're proposing to remove. So the goals themselves will be measurable. So that's, that's what we're working on um, to develop uh, metrics that each of those goals can be measured by. Um, this is a key component to the TMP, not a goal. And uh, performance monitoring program will be will advance this effort. So really, um, having this separate from the goals is really an awkward way to manage it. So kind of streamlining the process. I believe that's the last one. So I think opening it to discussion.
uh, at this point. So are there specific or overarching changes uh, for the project team to incorporate into the updated uh, draft goal language? Deputy Mayor Arnold. Thank you, Madam Mayor. And thank you, Kimberly and, and Fred, for these updates. I think it's generally on the right track. I have some um, general comments in, in three areas. First around the public transportation goal. When we look at where we were in 2015 and we look at uh, this particular goal, we're talking about coordinating with Metro to build the transit system we need. Given where we are with Metro service today, where we're fighting even to get back to our pre-pandemic levels of service from Metro, much less growing transit service outside of the work that we're doing to advocate for the K-Line, I'm concerned about Metro providing a transit system that meets all of our needs. And I think this, the language in this goal should reflect that there may be some uh, circulation needs, some connection needs that we uh, may provide in other ways or that we may work with um, uh, Metro to fund separately. Because uh, I think this, this is going to need to go beyond our traditional advocacy because um, I, I just don't see a pathway like we did in 2015 to build, to um, have Metro provide all of that service at the frequency we need. And so I want to be more aggressive about what that looks like. In addition, related in this, maybe in the transit section, it may be in the active transportation section or the, uh, the new technology section, but connections are going to be important to increase accessibility to transit, and that may be bike or scooter shares that we're not didn't have in the 2015 plan that we will need to reevaluate going forward to, to look for methods to get more people to transit. Um, I, so I, I think that goal need, needs some work and would encourage you to be more uh, aggressive uh, there. And then uh, I do support your suggestion of a, a potential separate uh, maintenance goal. When I was looking at sustainability, I was looking not only at what you had here, but some uh, good feedback that we've heard from Councilmember Pascoe in, in the future of how we design our transportation system to be more sustainable. John, you had talked about um, roundabout policy and things like that. I, I think that's something to look at. And then finally, uh, going back to goal one around vision zero. Um, what I've been learning about this from some regional conversations at PSRC is a safe system approach, singular. Some of our um, previous language in there had talked about safe systems. And the difference that I want to be able to focus on is saying we're building one entirely safe system, not looking at, okay, we're having a vehicle system that's safe and a bicycle system that's safe and a sidewalk system that's safe. You've got to look at the interactions. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Curtis. Kimberly, did you want to add something there? I did. I, we took out some of our slides worried about not having enough time to cover everything, but um, one of the approaches for the plan as a whole is to incorporate the safe systems and philosophy from Vision Zero and layer it in, um, as well as complete streets. Um, and so that's great. And in fact, it was, we had talked about you know, including those safe systems policies and the complete streets policies under the safety goal. Um, but you have you make a point we might 
take another look at the language of the protocol. Thanks, Kimberly. Councilmember Curtis. Thank you, Madam Mayor. So one of my questions is, is this the last only chance we're gonna be able to look at these goals? Um, what's the process from here? Um, we plan to come back. Um, they, this will definitely not be our last chance to look at the goals. What we're doing now is working through the update to the policies with the Transportation Commission. Um, thought that was a little too detailed for council at this stage since this is your first touch on the Transportation Master Plan um, itself. Um, and so as we, as we move forward with um, bringing back to you um, the, the updated policy structure, um, there will be an opportunity to um, provide your feedback on the goals themselves as well. Okay, thank you, Kimberly, that's helpful. We received a letter late, late this afternoon that not all of us have been able to process and I don't think you guys were even CC'd on it and it had some interesting language changes in it. So I'll make sure it's forward to you. And one of the things that they suggested is in the sustainability goal, we reflect back to our sustain our goals within the sustainability master plan. So um, it just had some interesting points in it and I want you guys to have a chance to look at it. Um, one of the questions in the memo was, and Deputy Mayor addressed this, should we split the sustainability goal between maintenance and environmental impact? And I feel very strongly that we need to, we can't use one word to mean two different things. So I do support that change. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, I'm glad I didn't go first because my colleagues checked some things off my list. Um, I first have some feedback from items in the memo that weren't presented tonight, kind of the introductory stuff that I just want to touch on. Um, we talk about in the memo reaffirming the modal priorities, one, pedestrians, two, bicyclists, three, transit, and four, motor vehicles. I don't see what I've heard talked about a lot recently in that language. Um, what about other types of vehicles, uh, such as you know electric bikes, electric scooters, one wheels, all those things that we're seeing more and more of with students, you know, getting themselves to and from school, with folks getting to and from work, and folks just getting around the community. Um, I don't think it fully fits under bicyclists, nor does it fully fit under motor motor vehicles, but maybe somewhere in between. So I want to make sure that we're really being um, thoughtful about our modal priorities there and using the right language to really be inclusive, not just of what we're seeing now, but what we're seeing going into the future, given that this is a future visionary document um, that we're doing. I would love to learn more about, I know that, uh, you know, we touched on one of the goals, the technology and emerging practices, but give, I would like to know what we know now and what we um, envision for the future, given what we know now. I don't think it's enough just to have a catch-all of stuff that's gonna happen in the future, because there's already stuff that's happening now that could influence um, in a little bit more detail and nuance than what, we're ha than what we currently have just under that one new goal. Um, also under the fo focus groups and other outreach, it's not gonna be surprising because I think I bring this up whenever we talk about public outreach, that we need to focus, not just coincidentally happen to have in some of our groups, but we need to focus on folks who don't yet live here. Um, talking about people who work in our shops and our community, who work, are employees of our businesses, but can't yet afford to work here. Uh, you know, in this uh, comprehensive plan update, we're gonna be for the first time adding an affordable housing component. That is huge. And the needs that we have that are gonna be articulated in that chapter are huge. And looking 20 years out at our city, if we're able to, um, to meet even a small portion of those needs, uh, I hope that we'll, we'll meet a larger than a small portion of them, but that's gonna drastically change 
who lives here and the, and the um, you know, the socioeconomic status of those who live here. And so given that this is a visionary document for years from now, for decades from now, and we're hoping to have more uh, socioeconomic status and uh, diversity in our city, it's really important that we're targeting those folks in our outreach because they deserve to have a say in the vision of our future for um, in this plan throughout all the different elements and all the different chapters. So I'll probably say that whenever every single element comes before us, but I'm just gonna say it again tonight. To me, it's not good enough to just like, oh, they might be at some of the events that we have. I think we need to be very targeted, very intentional. I've suggested before reaching out to some unions. We have like our teachers unions and other unions throughout the community. We talk about wanting to have our teachers be able to live here and our baristas. Well, let's reach out to those um, in the business community and the workers in those in those communities to be able to um, have a more targeted outreach. Okay, I will get off of my soapbox on that. I haven't seen it feel very passionately. Um, we and some of the um, details of the um, goals that you have tonight. <clears throat> um, I'm going to be a little bit of a squeaky wheel with something else. We talk about safety and the safety goal and tying it kind of to our, uh, you know, vision zero goals. I, what I want to make sure, this may be too much in the weeds, but I want to be sure that we're capturing, that the language we have here will capture also partnering with private property owners who own parking lots in our city. Because what we learned from our last Vision Zero update is that we have, um, the majority of fatalities were happening in parking lots in our city. And given that that's the case, we need to be proactive in partnering with, um, with the owners of those parking lots to make them safer. We can give them ideas and suggestions and guidelines. Maybe we can have a grant program and partner with making some improvements. But this, as the language reads, it reads, um, you know, that these things, uh, eliminating all the transportation related fatal and serious injury crashes in Kirkland. It doesn't just say on Kirkland roadways or on Kirkland sidewalks. It says in Kirkland and those parking lots are part of Kirkland. So I think this is something that um, that we need to focus on as part of this. I agree with my colleagues that um, the sustainability goals should really be two separate goals, maintenance and the, and the one that's more focused on sustainability. Um, I already mentioned the technology and emerging practices related to kind of the micromobility and the smaller electric vehicles. Um, and I'm looking at my notes. I have some messy handwriting here, just a moment. Um, you know, you mentioned the, I think it was the, I have a note, note here on key component. I think you mentioned the outreach being a key component and something that really should be throughout all of our goals. I feel the same way about equity and sustainability and you kind of touched on that. I've said this before multiple times that I think for everything the city does, equity and sustainability need to be lenses that we apply to everything. And so that would apply to all of the goals here. Um, so just encourage us to do that as we go through the language. We are probably still in a place where we need to call out separate goals for equity and sustainability. I would love to get to a place where that's no longer necessary because it's so much intertwined in the work that we do that that's always a lens. Oh, those are always lenses that we apply. As we saw in our previous presentation, that's already starting to happen in the culture of our city, which is amazing. So I do like that we call them out as separate goals. And with the understanding that they still need to need to be interwoven throughout the whole document and throughout the um, the other goals. And that's my feedback. Thank you so much. Thank you, Councilor Paschal. Thank you, Madam Mayor. So I have some comments, some specific comments on the goals, and then some just general comments for the team to consider as you continue to move forward with this update. Um, but before I do that, I just want to comment on. 
the fact that as a, as a city, I, I really do believe we've come a long way with transportation and what we're doing. Um, and I say that from the context of having seen and kind of lived through what we've been doing over the last 20 years in my involvement in the city and really proud of the things that we're doing. That's not to say that we still have things we need to work on and improvements we need to make. And that's always going to be something that um, every uh, community is going to, to need to, to address. But, you know, I'm a little bit protective of some of these goals and let me tell you why. Um, it was back in uh, 2008, I was chair of the Transportation Commission back then. And we had a number of setbacks in the city at that time related to land use and transportation um, initiatives going forward. And this was before, I think, uh, everyone here was on council, I'm not sure. Um, and it was, it was this, this vehicle-centric idea where things were getting constantly just batted down. Um, and it was really frustrating as a transportation commissioner at the time that we just weren't advancing things. And the, the thing that, that I, and I wasn't getting a lot of support from the council either at the time. And so the thing that, 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 that I came up with with, the, with my fellow commissioners and I took to the transportation manager at the time, Dave Godfrey, uh, was this uh, transportation conversations document that the Transportation Commission actually authored. Because we, we didn't have authority to essentially um, edit the, the comprehensive plan. And in that, we came up with four goals. Be sustainable was one of them. Be an active partner. Um, and then there was, there was two others there um, as well. And those then fell into the transportation master plan. I remember I had to go and make my case to the city manager at the time, which was not Kurt. It was our prior. And I was put in the hot seat. And then I, and he told me I had to go and go to each of the neighborhood groups and the uh, Chamber of Commerce and make the case to essentially refocus our goals on moving people rather than vehicles. And that was kind of a foundational change. And that then has been kind of incorporated throughout. So you can, you can I think, kind of see why um, I'm a little bit protective of some of the things I've seen here, and I, I just want to kind of provide that context into how we, we came up with some of these ideas from the sustain, Be Sustainable standpoint. It wasn't about just environmental sustainability, as you had, had identified. It was really about fin financial sustainability, providing a, a transportation system that we could afford and that we could maintain. So, and so that gets at the, at the maintenance idea that, that, that other colleagues have mentioned. From the active partner, I know that we're saying that maybe we delete that. The, the, the goal was that was that I, we don't want to sit back and be like, hey, we support you. We encourage King County to do this and do that or WashDOT. It's really to be, no, we're going to be in front of these things and we're going to be active and we're going to promote it and we're going to push it forward. That's what that was about. It wasn't about it was more about being proactive rather than reactive. And that's what we were back then. We were reactive. And so that's why that was promoted to kind of being at that top level. That top level. So I just want us to make sure we're thinking about that. Right? An example of that was doing the transit implementation plan a few years ago where we were like, hey, these are the projects we need to improve speed and reliability. Guess what? We got money from Metro because we identified those. Metro said, hey, Thank you for identifying those. Hey, we'll give you some money and we'll implement that turn lane on, on 116th, uh, the signal improvement at 124th and 100th Avenue because we were proactive 
and identifying those. So I just want, so those are some goals I just want you to think about, you know, how you can incorporate. In terms of like other things I just would like you to think about as you go through the transportation master plan update. And I'd, I'd be really curious to hear what the, the transportation commission said and some of the focus groups as well. But I really think that we have really good plans in place. I think I would really like to foc also focus on execution of those plans and those visions and those goals. Uh, uh, Deputy Mayor already talked about the transit strategy. I'm not gonna go into that, but I, I really, what I, what I see other communities doing and other electeds um, in the region is that Kirkland, unfortunately, is at a disadvantage in advocating for our transit service. We don't stack up well against other King County communities from an equity standpoint. Um, you know, that's good and bad, right? Um, but what I see other communities doing is really kind of harnessing what is it about Kirkland that makes us unique? Where are our underrepresented communities? Where are our transit-dependent transit communities? And that's make the case for it. Um, that's not let Metro decide on, on, on that for us. So I think we need a, a really good strategy there. Um, on traffic control policy, uh, the Deputy Mayor brought this up and I brought this up at the last meeting. I believe we have a proliferation of traffic signals throughout the city and I really want us to think more create, creative, uh, creative about how we go about that. I, I, would, I would like, personally, I would like roundabouts should be the default and only if you approve that a roundabout is not feasible, then you, you, you move to, to a signal. And the reason why I say that is roundabouts are proven. It's not just proven uh, to, to reduce crashes, crash severity. Um, they're proven to be sustainable, uh, sustainable, sustainable practices, and they're proven to be resilient. You know, they can still operate when the power goes out or other incidents. Um, so, and then life cycle costs. You know, we, we, we have a full signal team that maintains our signals, that's great. I appreciate that, but that does take ongoing uh, costs over time. And then mo most importantly is they reduce vehicle speeds, particularly on our arterials, and I know my colleagues and myself, we get continual feedback about just um, uh, uh, speeding issues, not just in neighborhoods, but along arterials. Uh, and then I'd like us to also think, going back to the goal on safety, I'd like us to kind of think about, we've talked about this, and this is kind of building off of the previous um, presentation. Instead of, you know, we wanna look at things through an equity lens, how about looking at things through a safety lens, right? So. So as projects come up, are we looking at, is it, is it getting at the safety issues that are paramount to the community? Um, you know, is it, is it reducing speeds in areas where we have excessive speeding or collisions? And there's a city that I know of that the council basically mandated that all policies, all designs, all, all projects in the public right away, even if they're developer driven, they're, look, they're looked at through the safety lens and that, and that dynamically kind of changes the outcomes uh, uh, of things. And then also points to where we need to shore up kind of uh, uh, standards and guidelines and so forth in public works. Um, maintenance of pedestrian bicycle facilities. I think one of the, the real hangups with implementing some protected bicycle facility types of improvements is that we get hung up on how do we maintain those over time. I, I really think that we need to really address that as part of the transportation master plan. Are we gonna let maintenance drive our decisions around our goals? 
uh, towards our goals. Um, from a, we've heard some comments and we've received some comments about protected bicycle facilities. Something to consider, and I'd like to hear, I, I would love to hear uh, input on this. I, I don't, this is just kind of a, something in my mind, but should we have a, um, a, a policy to where when we're implementing capital improvements that we should first consider protected bicycle facilities and then only if those are proven to be unfeasible, um, then, then we look at other things. And, and that should be focused on those primary and secondary bike routes that are, that are identified in the transportation plan, right? So it's not like every roadway, but it's those roadways where we've identified as um, a bicycle routes being a priority. And then uh, finally, I wanted to use an example uh, that Councilmember Nixon shared with me the other day is around pedestrian crossings a signal was installed at the entrance to Totem Lake Village. It doesn't actually have crosswalks to cross Totem, to cross Totem Lake Boulevard and or ped, you know, uh, pedestrian heads. Should we even allow the, that from becoming a project? It should be like pedestrian crossings should be actually required as part of these intersection projects and if, and only if, you know, they're infeasible again, or, or there's some kind of safety concern, then maybe they shouldn't. So I think it's like, what should the default be? And then from the default, then you move back uh, from that. So that's just kind of an example. So I know that's a lot <laughs> to, Thank to, you. to really kind of layer on, but I know this is a really important time in this, in this plan update, and these are the really important kind of policies that we wanna make sure get incorporated in so that you can kind of consider it and so that we can hear from the commission and from other, the public, because you know, these are just ideas and these are ideas I've gotten from other folks and I'd, I'd love to hear the feedback on, on these. Thank you. I do have one, um, well actually one response and one question. First, I really wanna thank you for leading up that work for the transportation conversations um, for the 2015 plan. And um, it is a really great document, by the way. I think you worked on it for, a year before the 2015 plan started, it looks like from my um, looking back at that report, um, those guiding principles that were created from that were used as the basis for our conversations with the public. And so the updated guiding principles really does summarize what we heard from the focus groups and from the Transportation Commission. Um, that was kind of one of the things um, that might have gotten a little bit missed um, from the, the council packet, but um, that's really kind of your, your summary if you really wanna hear um, what we've heard from, particularly from the focus groups and the Transportation Commission thus far. Kim, can um, you use your so microphone? Nice, um, opportunity for us to. Can you use your microphone? We can't hear you on the. Oh, okay, sorry. Thank you. Better. <laughs> um, so thank you for that. And then I just wanted to kind of, you'd mentioned that you wanted to hear what the Transportation Commission said in the focus groups. And so that's really your summary. Um, and then my question um, about the, um, this is for everyone, um, it sounds like there's interest at least from you, Councilmember Pascal, in, in maintaining this be an active partner goal. Um, is that something that um, we should just kind of move forward with? I'm curious to hear from others on that. Yeah. Thank you. I listened, I, I thought that was fascinating. It was a great history lesson. Um, <laughs> And 
I'm proud that we put you on that transportation commission so long ago. Uh, so thank you for those comments. And Councilmember Black. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. I didn't mean to cut you off, uh, but I did want to get a. I did want to have my chance to go, and I um, did actually. My very first item, my very first bullet point was actually to respond uh, to the question about being an active uh, partner. First of all, I want to do. I do want to say either it's brilliant to wait until the former transportation commission chair and transportation engineer goes, or it's the stupidest thing you can possibly do. I think it's going to. I think it's going to greatly simplify my uh, comments. Um, I actually, I will say that even before I, I listened to uh, uh, Councilmember Pascal's uh, remarks about the Be an Active Partner, it was actually one of the items that did kind of jump out at me as still uh, relevant uh, as a separate item. So um, I really appreciate his, uh, uh, Councilmember Pascal's uh, context and background on that, and it nicely dovetails with a sense I had when I was reviewing this that it didn't necessarily, um, uh, it didn't make sense necessarily, obviously, to remove it. So that's my first comment. Um, second comment, just quickly, I'm going to um, throw my uh, vote in with some of my colleagues about bifurcating uh, the maintenance element from the environmental effects element. That was another one um, that when I was going through this, it seemed like that made a ton of sense, and I've seems like I've heard some consensus on that from my colleagues. Um, one thing that I think we, I, th I think I've heard Deputy Mayor uh, touch on this. I think maybe some of my other colleagues, including Councilmember Pascal, touched on this, but I sort of want to emphasize it. Um, I really would like to see a, a in in our goal statements. I'd like to see a clear link between our active transportation goal and our transit goal. In the following sense, we are never going to have um, transit on every single uh, street throughout the city of Kirkland. There's always going to be a need to bridge that. You know, you, some people refer to it as last mile. We don't necessarily have a last mile problem, but we have a last several hundred feet, last several our last uh, few quarter miles problem that we will always have. And I'd really like to see that um, part of our goal to really connect active transportation to getting folks from their homes and offices and whatnot, um, their places of business, to our, the transit serviced areas using active transportation. So I know they're both in there, but there's not really a link in there. And I think I've kind of heard that from some of my colleagues too. So that was number three. Um, the last one um, actually uh, springboards a little off of another comment that uh, Councilmember uh, Pascal was talking about, and that is uh, with respect to, um, he said it pretty well, but the, the manner in which um, when it comes to sort of the uh, examination of increasing uh, service uh, of the public, the tra public transportation agencies uh, uh, increasing service within Kirkland, uh, we tend to not score well on sort of equity analysis. I actually really appreciated the way that we've stated our equity goal because if I won't read it, but if you read it, um, it doesn't necessarily f um, have some of the same problems that I think we see with some of uh, Metro Transit's analysis of this issue. But I do want to emphasize that I, I, w I don't want our um, I like the way it's worded. I don't want to see it become used in the same manner in which I'm seeing Metro use it. And one of the, my real concern there 
is we aspire to be a complete city. We, we aspire to have complete neighborhoods. We aspire to have neighborhoods that are served by transit, where the folks who work in those neighborhoods can, uh, can live in those neighborhoods. If we take, and I don't, I don't mean to be too highly critical of the approach taken by Metro, um, but I've stated publicly in many other forum, including the Eastside Transportation Partnership, this exact issue, we end up locking into place certain land use patterns that is not our intent. Our intent is to aspire to a future where we have folks from all different socioeconomic backgrounds, those who are transit dependent, those who are not, those who use their vehicles um, frequently, those who not. We, we risk locking in these land use patterns across our entire region using the approach that Metro's taking. Just wanna make sure in our corner of the region that we're not doing the same thing with our equity. And I don't see that in what we've stated here as our equity goal, but I don't want it to, I would wanna make sure it doesn't become that. So that's my comment there, and I think that's it, thanks. Thank you. Um, you're getting a lot of feedback here tonight. Um, I just wanna go back to the be an active partner piece. I think for me, um, so many of the things that have been stated already are, are gonna be helpful for you framing the next steps. But I think there's a level of advocacy that is incorporated into being an active partner. Um, we're gonna have to cajole, arm twist. Um, the whole issue of getting bus service to our BRT station is going to, is gonna be huge. We may have to partner with other cities. Um, so I, I think a significant amount of creativity to go into that, including looking at services like Bellevue has just put into place downtown. Um, and with that, I think you've got a lot to work on. But it also, it, this is a good document. This is, this is a solid body of work. I just think um, I heard a council make it a whole lot better. And apparently there's a letter out there too. So thank you. Are you done or? We're about done. Um, okay. Just uh, I think I've, I don't have a clock in front of me. So maybe you're fine to time check. But um, thank you for that. Um, so uh, we will continue to work on this. Um, we have we have about a year. Um, the we're right in um, sync with the um, the comprehensive plan to be adopted next fall. So we have a lot to do in that year, um, but we will come back with uh, updated goals and policies. Um, we are putting together our um, fiscally constrained project list. Um, as mentioned, there's been a lot of work that's done, including our modal plans, and so our um, our uh, consultant team is putting together a, um, a master project list. Very excited about that um, in a in a web map, so that we can um, really stitch. This is our opportunity to really stitch together um, all of our projects from all of our different plans, our corridor studies, um, and and we'll come together to prioritize that list. Um, it'll also be a, a great resource for things that even if they go unfunded, um, it'll really be a nice resource so that we can have everything all in one place. Um, and then we're looking at our um, existing future and land use um, uh, alternatives. And so we'll bring back that comparison of um, what we're looking at um, between now and in the future and working very closely with planning on um, their um, combining our transportation networks with the land use capacity in terms of um, looking at that. Um, and so we will be back. Um, and meanwhile, we're spending a lot of time with the Transportation Commission and so um, they've been very involved. Really appreciate all of your comments tonight. Well, thank you. Else? This thank was you. a great presentation. And with that,
think we will adjourn until we come back at 7.30 for... We are back in session following a study session on the annual update of the DEIB roadmap and an update on the transportation master plan. We are at honors and proclamations in our, in our agenda. The first proclamation is the National Pollution Prevention Week proclamation and Dr. Er, <laughs> and Council Member Pascal is gonna help me with that one. Mm. City Manager. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. So we're going to be proclaiming September 18th through 22nd as National Pollution Prevention Week for the reasons outlined in the proclamation. Uh, but I want the members of the audience to know that many of the programs and projects that Kirkland has done to protect and enhance our environment are also listed in, listed in the memo, and they are pretty extensive. And we have some folks here from our Surface Water Pollution Prevention Program here to receive the proclamation. If you want to just come up. Thank you for being here. It's not on. acknowledges National Pollution Prevention Week in honor of the United States Congress passing the Pollution Prevention Act in 1990. And whereas the Pollution Prevention Act promotes source reduction to reduce the amount of hazardous substances, pollutants, and contaminants entering our any waste stream or otherwise released into the environment. And whereas the City Council's environment goal is to protect, protect the natural environment through integrated natural resource management. And whereas City of Kirkland is a leader in implementing programs that reduce and prevent pollution by empowering businesses, residents, and municipal operations to protect our environment through education, outreach, and technical assistance. And whereas these services are provided by a diverse workforce with a variety of backgrounds and experience levels that share a common goal of protecting public health and the environment by controlling, reducing, or eliminating sources of pollution before they enter our environment, including our wetlands, streams, and lakes, and prevents the need for costly controls and cleanup responses. Oh, there we are. <laughs> now, therefore, Mayor Penny Sweet does hereby proclaim the week of September 18th to the 22nd as National Pollution Prevention Week in the city of Kirkland and calls upon all community members to protect natural resources by reducing and eliminating pollution at its source. Super, and we started this off this evening by, by um, Julie and Toby and I got to put down one of the new symbols that we've got for how many? 10,000 10, storm drains indicating that it's a fist passage. So we're pretty excited about that. Thank you guys so much.
Okay, well, I'm still up here because I'm too lazy to go back to my seat. I'm going to turn okay. it over to you to announce the next one. I will announce the next one. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, our next proclamation, the mayor will be proclaiming October 1st through 7th as Freedom to Read Week. Uh, this proclamation was requested by the City of Kirkland Library Board. We have very, some of the members here. Um, the proclamation will be received by Harry Bruce, who is a member of our Library Board, as well as Dean Emeritus of the University of Washington School of Information. And he's being joined by other members of the library system of King County. Welcome, everybody. All right. Well, I'll be reading a proclamation of the City of Kirkland proclaiming October 1st to the 7th, 2023 as celebrating the Freedom to Read Week in Kirkland. I do have a little bit of commentary, which is my mother, uh, since I was a little boy, was a library assistant. Um, she's a library assistant still to this day um, in, the, in, the, in our schools. So it's a, hap it's, a, it's a nice happenstance that I got to read this. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, whereas the American Library Association's Banned Books Week celebrates the freedom to read as observed each year as a reminder to Americans not to take their freedoms for granted. And whereas the freedom to read is essential to our democracy and reading is among our greatest freedoms. And whereas privacy is essential to the exercise of that freedom and the right to privacy is the right to open inquiry without having the subject of one's interest judged examined or scrutinized by others. And whereas the freedom to read is protected by our constitution and intellectual freedom is essential to the preservation of a free society and a creative culture. And whereas all library books and resources should be accessible for the interest, information and enlightenment of all people of the community the library serves. And whereas no books or resource materials should not be excluded or censored because of the origin, background or views of those contributing to their creation. No matter how controversial the topic, such as culture, religion, love, war, science and technology, to name a few. And whereas libraries should challenge censorship in the fulfillment of their responsibility to provide access of all expressions of ideas and information. And whereas libraries should challenge Whoops, pardon me. And whereas conformity limits the range and variety of inquiry and expression in which our democracy and culture depend. And whereas the American Library Association's Office of Intellectual Freedom has found a dramatic increase in book challenges in the last several years, with 2022 having the highest number since the ALA started collecting censorship data 20 years ago, with 1,269 books almost doubling 2021 with 729. And whereas currently most of the attempts to remove library materials on topics of LG are on topics of LGBTQIA plus uh, issues, books by black authors, and books that document the experiences of BIPOC people. And whereas most of the book challenges happen in public libraries, 48%, with school libraries running close behind at 41%, schools, 10%, and higher education libraries and other institutions, 1%. And whereas some individuals, groups, and public authorities work to remove or limit access to reading materials, to censor content in schools, to label controversial views, to distribute lists of objectionable books or authors, and to purge libraries and materials reflecting the diversity of society. And whereas the community members can show support and celebrate the freedom to read by visiting the American Library Association's website, where one can find the top 10 list of 2022 challenged books and statement on book censorship. 
And now, therefore, Mayor Penny Sweet does hereby proclaim October 1st to the 7th, 2023, as celebrating the Freedom to Read Week in Kirkland, and calls upon the people of Kirkland, Washington, to learn more about book censorship and support people's right to read on all perspectives without restriction. And I'll be handling, handing this proclamation to you along with the microphone. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, good evening, everyone. Um, as I was introduced, my name is Harry Bruce. I, I serve on the Kirkland Library Board. Thank you, Mayor Sweet. Councilmember Black. Councilmember Black. Thank you so much. Thank you to all of the council members uh, for the work that they have done on this proclamation and the support that you give our libraries here in Kirkland. I have with me some very distinguished people. Uh, this is Heather Goodberton. Uh, she also serves on the Kirkland Library Board. In the middle here is Denise Bagalo, and Denise uh, is a uh, significant library leader in the KCLS library system, and she also is a liaison to the Kirkland Library Board and does a great deal of work on behalf of uh, our Kirkland branches. Uh, and we have Tracy Thompson, uh, who spoke to the Library Board just recently about uh, uh, the intellectual freedom and the way KCLS protects intellectual freedom in, uh, for the patrons in all of its uh, services. And we have John Scheller at the end, uh, who does uh, uh, government relations for KCLS as well. It is true that uh, there is an increasing number of cases where uh, library materials, books have been challenged uh, and often those challenges are arising uh, because of objections to uh, ideas that might have been expressed uh, in those materials, whether they're online or in books. Uh, the materials often objected to are those that are celebrating equity and inclusion and the diversity uh, of individuals within our communities and lifestyle choices and identity choices. Um, so we need uh, robust ways of... Uh, uh, um, managing those sorts of, uh, of uh, challenges in, in our libraries. Now, the King County Library system, of which the Kirkland Library and the Kingsgate Library are branches, has a very robust set of processes and procedures uh, to deal with the various issues that arise uh, when there is a challenge to materials within, within the library. Um, this document provides a further tool for librarians in Kirkland and in Kingsgate uh, as they, uh, as these challenges might arise in our community. So this is an important document for uh, our community and for our libraries, which are indeed the soul of Kirkland. So thank you so very much to very Kirkland. Absolutely. Well done. Thank you. Okay, this brings us back to our agenda. We are at item number five, communications. This is the time in our meeting when we hear from public, from the public on matters that are not quasi-judicial or otherwise scheduled for public hearing. We do have a public hearing scheduled this evening. It is item 7A, 
on Resolution R-5602, expressing the City Council's support for Proposition Number 1, a levy lid lift for expanded aquatics, recreation, and parks facilities, operations, and programs. Please reserve your remarks on that topic for the, for the public hearing. On all other matters, please limit your remarks to three minutes, and the Council will receive up to three comments each on both sides of each issue. If you are present either in person or virtually and would like to address the Council during this items from the audience period, please sign up using the online public comment instruction link or in person using the posted QR code. For those participating by phone, please dial star 9 to be recognized to speak. Community members will be called in the order in which they signed up. Items from the audience is an important part of our business meeting, and we ask that everyone be treated with kindness and respect. We ask that you please not clap or applaud after a speaker or express your disagreement with a speaker. We want everyone in Kirkland to feel welcome expressing their viewpoints regardless of content. Because they can be disruptive, signs and placards are not allowed in council chambers during our meeting, regardless of their content. City Clerk. We have one person signed up for items from the audience. It's Jan Molinaro. Welcome, Mayor Mol Molinaro. Good evening, Mayor. Good evening, City Council. I'm Jan Molinaro. I'm the mayor of the city of Enumclaw, but I'm here tonight as the Sound Cities Association president, and I wish to address council and mayor on three items concerning SCA. First of all, I want to thank the city of Kirkland for being a valued member of SCA. You do have a partnership with SCA and you do have a voice in the region. The other item I want to talk to is kind of a more jolly affair in terms of our network dinners. Uh, if you haven't attended one, we do have one scheduled for October 25th. Uh, down in Renton, just a, I'm sure a short drive for y'all down 405 if you carpool. So come on down. We do have a, a great topic that's going to be uh, uh, discussed. One of the professors from UW, I think, is going to be there on the uh, civility of our politics, I think, is the topic. So it should be pretty interesting. But more importantly, you get a chance to mingle with other electeds. And even more importantly, you get to show support for the business partners that do support Sound Cities, and that we want to continue to do. Last, I do want to thank those of you who are participating in uh, the boards and commissions, Amy. So we want to thank each of you who are part of the boards or commissions. And if you're not, there are opportunities because SCA has that opportunity to appoint to 27 different boards and commissions throughout the region. So please consider that. Applications will be uh, uh, sent out here shortly this year for next year. So be looking for an email from SCA. And if you do have anything you want to address with me pertaining to the region or on SCA specifically, go to cityofenumclaw.net, look for the mayor, send me an email, and I'll be happy to correspond with each and every one of you. Thank you for this time and uh, appreciate it. Have a great meeting. Well, thank you, Mayor, and thank you for taking the time to come up here. You're more than welcome, Penny. Thank you. Um, Councilmember Pascal, Jan. Question for you. Yes. Not off that that quickly. Come on. <laughs> okay. Um, thanks for coming tonight. You know, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned all the opportunities for elected officials to get involved in in the Association of Washington Cities and. Uh, 
especially with like the, the other kind of appoint, appointed positions that the board makes. And the question I had, and made me this something to think about, is I was appointed to the Active Transportation Safety Council about three years ago by the board. Um, and that's a, that's a council uh, under the Washington State Traffic Safety Commission office. And I know there's other positions like that for other different kind of state agencies and state boards and commissions. The, the question that maybe the, the board or you know AWC can think about is how, how can that feedback loop be established to where the things that I'm learning or uh, from that council be brought back to cities across the region? I know I'm bringing it back to Kirkland and Kirkland's benefiting from my time and, and energy on that. But how do I, as a representative, because I'm representing the AWC, how can I bring that back to the rest of all the other member agencies? Um, that's something that I've always kind of been curious about, of how, how we can establish that linkage. And I'm sure other appointees might, might have that same question. That's a good question, John, because a lot of it is county-driven, and yeah. we're, we're representative there. So if they have opportunities where they can share the minutes of those committee meetings or board meetings, I think that's one way that could be disseminated, that, that information. So that would be something we would have to inquire with each of the, the committees or boards who chairs it and figure out how we can get that information out. Because you're right, not every community would be part of the 27 that are there, and they can't just come back and report back in maybe right. a committee setting here. Yeah, because I mean, essentially, how many cities and I mean, there's like 200 and some cities across the state that's represented by EWC. So how, how does that feedback? See, within the county, yeah. Sound Cities has 30, 38. So AWC, I know Deanna, I saw her picture pop up here earlier. So yeah. she's... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. You're talking about Sound Cities. Yes, I, I was talking about... That's uh, okay. We're, we're kind of in the same, rowing the same direction, to be honest with you. So, yeah. But yes, yeah, it's, it's really a good opportunity to be able to to have someone that is in that setting that may have the minutes that might be able to share those minutes and what was d discussed. Yeah, I think okay. the Sound Cities process is really more around PIC. Yeah. PIC is there, correct. Yeah. And yeah. you, you all, all should have at least one representative. Absolutely. And again, Amy being on the board could probably also answer some of those questions, I'll, I'll, although even some of that is not all shared in terms of every single board and commission that is part of the, the Sound Cities structure. Yeah, so, sorry, my mistake. Yeah, I'll see my question for Deanna. I got a promotion, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks, Jan. Thank you all, appreciate it. Mayor, we have one additional speaker who's signed up, Alex Zimmerman. Welcome, Mr. Zimmerman. Thank you very much. Z Kyle. Damn Nazi Gestapo fascist. I'm a mafiosi bandita who support Iranian Muslim and Russian terrorists. My name is Alex Zimmerman. I live in Bellevue for 35 years. Yeah. Guys, what is making me totally sick, I never see like this before in my life, is about the $6 billion for five people. Okay, $6 billion is okay. You know what it means? A thousand homeless dying. $6 billion, yeah for big guys from upstairs here. Who care about it? Why it make me sick totally? So Iranian president talk, I will use this money like I want. <laughs> Is this, after this, Biden, Democrat, no Biden, 
Democrat, give to him a $6 billion. It's a pure harassment and humiliation. And everybody quiet in Seattle, in King Country, you know what this means. Why? Because Seattle is King Country, my absolute analysis, I live here for 35 years, is number one fascist city in America. Number one. Absolutely, no question about this. Situation right now, very simple. I try to speak to this, what is I call masochist, who vote for Democrats. They love pain. You know what it means? So I give you a classic example. 85% Democrat work for, people work for Democrats. 85%. Same percentage work for Adolf Hitler and Nazi in 1939. So Hitler brings Germany to total collapse, a Democrat bring us now in King Country in Seattle to total collapse. 85% of people don't have ever a penny in package. I'm number one, maybe one from another millions. It's not a point. Guys, stop and elect Democrat. Need be absolutely idiot. You don't understand why it's happened for the last couple of years. It's no freaking analogy. It's, oh my gosh. Professional, I'm a small boy, but professional talks of what has happened with something right now. So 1933 will be like a child, child like a first grade of, of school, you know what this means? Something like this. Kindergarten <laughs> classes, yeah. <laughs> Please, guys, stop and act like an idiot. When you scared what against Democrat, Go to the uh, toilet, sit down, be quiet, and don't vote. You know what this means? Nobody can kill you because you're not voting. You know what this means? Nobody can tell you you're a bad boy like Alex Zimmerman. You know what this means? Yeah. And honestly, I love Trump. I think the best president what is I know for the last hundred years. Maybe Kennedy only close to him. Try something, destroy deep state. You know what this means? Yeah? It's a long time ago when I'm a young boy. Thank you, Mr. Zimmerman. Thank you very much. On behalf of the council, I would just like to say that some of the comments that we just listened to are frankly hurtful and offensive to our community. The city does not condone those comments. We are committed to making Kirkland a safe, inclusive, and welcoming place for all. At the same time, items from the audience provides an opportunity for community members to express their views to council regardless of content. Okay, that takes us to, is there anyone else who wants to address the council at this time? Seeing none, I'm going to declare that public comment period closed. Um, this takes us to item six, special presentations, uh, city manager. Okay, so thank you. Mayor, we have, uh, can you help remote here? So Diana Hart, our government affairs manager, is going to be helping uh, our CEO, uh, Deanna Dawson, the Chief Executive Officer of the Association of Washington Cities, make her presentation. Uh, welcome, Deanna. We all know Deanna very well from her former SCA time, but she is uh, now the uh, sixth CEO of the Association of Washington Cities and the first woman CEO, and she started in June of 2022. So we're very excited to have her back in this new role here for the city of Kirkland. So welcome, Deanna. Thank you so much, uh, uh, City Manager Triplett, uh, Mayor Sweet, members of the council. It's really an honor to be here with all of you tonight. Um, uh, as uh, Kurt just said, I am the CEO of the Association of Washington Cities. And John, I will get to your question about uh, how we can get some communication back. I also, I don't know if uh, Mayor Molinero is still in the room, but if he is, I'd like to say hello to him. Um, as, as was noted, uh, let's go to the next slide. Um, 
I spent about 10 years with the Sound Cities Association working on regional issues. So I had a chance to work with all of you in that capacity, have been at AWC for about a year now. And I'm really excited to be here with you in that new role. Um, I'm also, as uh, noted here on the screen, I'm a, I'd like to say a recovering elected official. I served on the Edmond City Council for two terms. And so I really appreciate, especially the work that all of you do on the council here. Let's go to the next slide. So um, I, as I think you all on the council know, um, we are a 501c4 organization, the Association of Washington Cities, and our mission is to serve our members through advocacy, education, and services. And this year is our 90th anniversary, so I'm excited to be here with you about that tonight. Next slide. And our mission, again, is to serve our members through advocacy, education, and services. I think most people know us for our advocacy work. Um, lobbying the legislature and working on behalf of cities in Olympia, but I'm here tonight really to talk to you about our educational programs and especially to recognize two of you for um, some great educational achievements that you've had through AWC. Next slide. So uh, one of the main things that we do at the Association of Washington Cities is provide education to elected officials and also to staff in our member cities. And as was um, noted earlier, we have 281 member cities at the Association of Washington Cities. We're really proud of the fact that um, all 281 cities are voluntary members of AWC. So we do this training and education in five different core competencies. The first is around legal roles and responsibilities um, of, uh, of elected officials. We also do training around public sector resource management, so finance, budgeting, that type of thing. We do training around community planning and development, so land use, affordable housing, zoning, um, strategic planning, economic development. We do training around effective local leadership, um, which is, I think, one of the most important things that we do, and we can talk about that a little bit, about um, how we all work together. And then we have another category around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, um, ways that we can create more equitable communities. Next slide. And we do a lot of this training. Um, last year, we had over um, 1,200 people attend our, our in-person trainings. We also did um, trainings live webinars and online events for over 1,000 people. Um, we had um, almost 500 people attend our conference this year. This is from last year, but this year we had almost 500 people attend our annual conference in Spokane. Um, and we are just really proud of the work that we do. And one of the things that we do at the Association of Washington Cities is a program called the Certificate of Municipal Leadership. And um, it's something that we really encourage all elected officials in Washington state to do. Just like any other profession, your education is really important to you. Um, I'm an, uh, an attorney by training, and I know that I have to get a certain number of continuing legal credits every year to keep up my law license. We think it's just as important that people do that continuing training as elected officials to show that they really understand how to do this job, because it is a complicated job, um, and there are so many different things, so many different laws that apply to cities, and um, it's not something that you necessarily learn about in school. And there, um, so we think it's important that elected officials take that training. Some of it's mandated by law, but most of it is just something that people do voluntarily. Um, and so we do award folks um, a certificate of municipal leadership, and then a very select number of our elected officials have achieved an advanced certificate of municipal leadership. Next slide. And to get that certificate of municipal leadership, you need to earn at least 30 um, credits and attend uh, workshops in all of the different competency areas that we offer. Next slide. 
And you can learn more about that on our website if you're interested in learning more about it. Next slide. And then again, as I mentioned, a, a smaller number of our elected officials achieve this advanced certificate of municipal leadership. And we really, um, oh, there's a typo on that slide. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so I, uh, I'm such a stickler for spelling and for grammar. And so I see there's a typo there. But um, to get the advanced certificate of municipal leadership, you need to earn at least 60 credits and attend training in all of the um, the areas that we offer, and then also demonstrate significant service in the Association of Washington Cities. And so this is really something that um, people have to put a lot of work into doing this. Sometimes it takes people many, many years of service to achieve this. But tonight we're here to recognize two Kirkland City Council members who've achieved it in a, a very short time. Um, and you should be really proud of this. So next slide. Um, I would just really like to say a big, huge thank you and kudos to Amy Falcone and Councilmember Kelly Curtis, Councilmember Amy Falcone and Councilmember Kelly Curtis. Um, they have both achieved their advanced certificate of municipal leadership. Um, it's really something remarkable that they've done all this work, um, and they're both extremely involved in the region, um, as well as in state governance. I know that um, Councilmember Falcone serves on the Sound Cities Association Board of Directors. I know that Kelly Curtis serves on the um, Public Issues Committee of SCA, and I had a chance to work with both of them for years in that capacity, but they're both just outstanding leaders um, in the community. And um, Amy Falcone is also serving now on our AWC, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging Cabinet, and she's just been an invaluable resource to me and to our association um, in that regard. I think you should all be really proud of the work that they've done. Next slide. So kudos to both of them for achieving this. We're really proud of both of you. I wish I could be there with you in person tonight to, to hand you a, a certificate. I know you've received that certificate in the mail already, but I wish that I could be there to give them to you in person. I'm unfortunately in central Washington right now, and I was, I was going to leave after the meeting tonight, but thought it not wise for me to drive over the mountains by myself so late at night. So thank you for letting me appear tonight um, virtually. Next screen. Um, I just also wanted to say kudos to all of your council members, because truly you have one of the most engaged and best educated cities in the state. Um, the mayor has her advanced certificate of municipal leadership, and I know she also works with us at AWC on our large city advisory committee. Um, Deputy Mayor Arnold has his certificate of municipal leadership, and Jay, I know you're very close to achieving your advanced CML. Love to get that for you. Councilmember Toby Nixon has his advanced CML. I don't know that there are any cities in the state, honestly, who have so many people who have an advanced um, CML. And Councilmember Black has his CML. Councilmember Pascal has. Um, uh, 36 credits. So you have enough credits, uh, John, we can get you that. We just need to make sure that you've gotten them in all the right areas and what have you. Um, your, your city is also a part of our Retro Safety Alliance, which is a great thing to be a part of because it's helping keep your city staff safe. And it's also saving your taxpayers money on their LNI claims. So um, your city is really engaged in lots of different things. And something else I wanted to point out to all of you, I don't know if you're you're aware of how um, I've talked to many of you about this, but your public should be aware of it as well. You're one of the councils that I always point to in terms of your ability to work together and your ability to work through really hard issues in a way that is um, civil and kind and courteous. And um, I just the respect that you all show for each other in this time of um, 
oftentimes incivility and folks who don't want to get along with people who don't agree with them politically. It's really something to be proud of. And I hold you up as an example across the state when I'm talking to folks about um, how councils can work together and show respect for each other, even if they don't agree on issues and you don't have to vote 7-0 on everything to be able to show respect for each other and work through tough issues in a in a way that you should be proud of. And so I just think it's something that is worth recognizing tonight as well as we're speaking. Next slide. Um, I do want to make you aware of a couple of events that we have in coming up. Um, we do a mayor's exchange in October in Leavenworth. Um, I hope, Mayor Sweet, that you can join us for that. We do these just a couple of times a year, but it's really valuable for mayors to get together and talk with their peers at those. Um, I, we're also a part of uh, an event that I sent you an invitation to called the Civic Health Summit that's being held in October in Renton. Um, uh, Lieutenant Governor Denny Heck, along with several other organizations, including the Ruckles House Center, where I'm proud to serve on the advisory board, um, are hosting this Civic Health Summit to talk about how we can and government work together um, and get through these really challenging times that we're in. So I hope that um, some members of the Kirkland Council will be there for that. And then I also hope you'll join us in December. We, every um, election year for local government, do these elected officials essentials where we are focused on um, new elected officials, but I really encourage all our elected officials to come to this every time we do it, because I always learn something new at it. I've been doing this for about 22 years now, and I always learn something. I think everybody will. The closest one to you will be held in person in Kenmore this year, um, and it will also be available online. Um, I may even hit some of you up to be panelists at that to the point earlier that I think we're going to have a special focus this year on how um, new electeds can work together and um work with their councils and with folks and um, talking about that importance of working together with people, even if you don't agree with them on every issue. So um, that's something I think that is uh, we need to really talk about more, especially in this nonpartisan local government world that we work in. Next slide. So um, that's my presentation tonight. I'm happy to talk about any of the other things that we do. I'd love to know more about how you think that AWC can support Kirkland now and in the future. I'd also be happy to talk about any of our legislative priorities if that's something you're, that you're interested in this evening. We have not adopted our 2024 um, legislative priorities yet. The Legislative Priorities Committee did meet for the fourth and final time last week. Our board is actually meeting this week, tomorrow, um, and they will be adopting their legislative agenda at that time. I know that we are going to be presenting at the Public Issues Committee for Sound Cities Association um, to give that presentation on what, what will be adopted there, so you'll have a chance to talk about it there. I should also note um, that uh, speaking to the point about how do we bring things back to others and how do we um, get information from one community back to another, um, your board representative to the Association of Washington Cities is uh, 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 Wendy Weicker from Mercer Island. She serves on our board. You also are really fortunate because here in North King County, you have um, Amy Okerlander from Duval is our board vice president. So you have two representatives from your district, District 7. Um, we also are proud to have um, several other members from King County on our board right now. Mayor Nancy Backus from Auburn serves on our board. Um, and Mayor, or excuse me, um, Councilmember Ed Prince from Renton serves on our board now. Um, we also have two city manager members on our board, and they both happen to be from King County right now. So we have the deputy city manager of um, Kenmore, Stephanie Lukash, and the deputy city 
um, Chief Administrative Officer of Renton, uh, Christy Rowland, serving on our board. So there are a lot of folks serving on the EWC board who work near and around Kirkland. Um, and so that's a great way to connect. We are going to be doing at the north next North End Mayor's meeting, a district meeting for EWC at that same time. So Mayor Sweet, I hope you can make it to that meeting in person in Redmond. Um, because we'll be there at that meeting to talk with all of you further as well, as well as at that um, eight, that SCA meeting that Jan Molinero talked about a minute ago, we're going to have a couple of minutes on the agenda there as well. So AWC is going to be out in your district a lot in the next couple of weeks. Um, we're actually going to be all over the state in October. We're trying to do meetings in every district um, over the next month. So um, I'm traveling a lot more than I was when I was at SCA and I saw you all more. So I'm, it, um, it's great. And it's great to be working with all 281 cities around the state, but I miss seeing all of you on a more regular basis. So um, Councilor Pascal, to the point that you asked before about how can folks who are serving on those statewide committees that EWC appoints to, I have a couple of ideas on that front. Um, and I think we probably have some room to make it better all the time. Um, but I would encourage anybody who is serving on a statewide border committee to make sure when they are doing those meetings to check back in with AWC staff. Um, you know, we have government relations staff who work on all the different subject matter areas. So on transportation, for example, um, Brandy on our staff is our transportation person um, to be checking in with those folks or checking in with me or checking in with your board representative and sharing those things. As you probably know, we have a lot of um, communications that go out to our members, and I think it would be great for us to do more of that updating folks on what's happening at the various boards and committees around the state um, through those newsletters that we have and through telling those types of stories, not just to our board um, and then back out to you via our board members. But I think that, you know, we do so much communication and there's probably a better way for us to do that. And probably we can do, um, I'd love it if people who served on all these things gave us feedback. I know that um, Ed Stern, for example, who serves on the um, um, infrastructure board, he is constantly emailing us with information to keep us in the loop about what's going on. And we share a lot of those types of things through our newsletters. And so I think that would be a great habit for us all to get into. Um, by the way, lean over here and get this. Um, I hope you also all read our City Vision magazine. Hopefully you just got a copy of this. Let me see if I can, well, it's sort of fading into my background, uh, but you should have all received a copy of that. This is a particularly fun issue because it's uh, about our celebrating our 90 years of AWC um, there's some great stories in there about the history of um, cities in the state and about EWC and also a really great feature story about our current board president, Betsy Wilkerson of Spokane, and the partnership she has with Mary Cuny of Spokane, who's the um, president of WASAC, which is the county association. So um, some interesting stuff there. With that, I will stop talking at you and take questions from you or comments or feedback for us. Great. We can probably put the slides down so that I can see all your faces a little bit more easily. Okay, great. Any comments, John? Well, Deanna, I just want to thank you for uh, for recognizing um, that Kirkland is a pretty special place to be a city council member, um, and appreciate all the hard work that you that you're putting in for us on our behalf uh, for AWC, and certainly all the time you spent with us around SCA. So thanks for this presentation tonight. Thanks for recognizing Kelly and Amy. Uh, and we will see you soon.
Great. Thank you. And again, big kudos to Amy and to Kelly. It's just, it's, it's really quite a, an achievement. So you should be really proud of yourselves. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye for now. Okay. So we are now back at item number seven, public hearings. This is a, this is a public hearing to receive public comment on proposed resolution 5602, expressing the city council's support for proposition number one, a levy lid lift for expanded aquatics, recreation and parks facilities, operations and programs in Kirkland, which is on the November 7th, 2023 general election. I will now open the public hearing. City manager. All right, uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. So um, we have three consecutive presentations before we get to the individual um, public comment. Uh, so first, it's going to be an informational presentation about the resolution from staff. Uh, Hillary De La Cruz, our management analyst, and Lynn Zwagstra, our Parks and Community Services Director, will provide that presentation. Um, then we'll take any questions you have of staff, and then after that, the Pro Committee and the Con Committee each have presentations that they will make, and then following that, we'll have the individual public testimony. So, uh, with that, Hillary, please. Welcome, Hillary. Good evening, Council Members. Um, as you know, my name is Hilary De La Cruz, and I'm a management analyst in Parks and Community Services, and I'm joined tonight by Parks and Community Services Director Lynn Zweigstra. Tonight, we are sharing a brief presentation reviewing the process for Council to discuss Kirkland Proposition 1 and highlighting components of Proposition 1. Following this presentation, Council will hold a public hearing seeking input from the community members to discuss the proposed resolution R5602. So on the screen um, shows some information about resolutions on ballot measures and what council is allowed to do. Because as you know, government entities are fairly limited in how and when they can engage on matters before voters. One explicit opportunity to engage is spelled out in state law, allowing government bodies like the Kirkland City Council to vote on motions or resolutions expressing an opinion about a ballot measure. And so pursuant to RCW 4217A555, the council is authorized to vote on a resolution um, to support or oppose a ballot proposition, provided that the following occurs. Any regular notice of the meeting includes the title and number and the ballot proposition, and members of the legislative body or members of the public are afforded an approximately equal opportunity for expression of an opposing view. Um, so the public hearing tonight is being held to provide the opportunity for council to make a decision on whether to support Proposition 1 and to provide community members an opportunity to express their views about Proposition 1. And on your screen, you will see the ballot title for Proposition 1 as it will appear in the November 7th ballot. Um, since the writing and publishing of your memo, King County Elections has updated the, their website, which now includes a copy of this ballot language as well as the city submitted explanatory statement and the statements submitted by the City Council appointed pro and con committees. So all that information is available to voters at the King County Elections website, which is kingcounty.gov elections. Um, and council members have heard details about Kirkland Proposition 1 at previous meetings, um, as it was council members who decided to put Proposition 1 on the ballot. Um, and members of the public have likely heard some details as well. And in the council packet was the updated new four-page educational fact sheet. Um, but Lynn is going to briefly highlight some of the elements and just share so that we can make sure that everyone listening has a baseline understanding of the components of Proposition 1. Um, this is a similar an abbreviated version of a um, presentation that Lynn and City Manager Kurt Triplett have been providing to community groups that ask for presentations. So I'll turn it over to Lynn. Hello, good evening. 
based on feedback from uh, the Parks Funding Exploratory Committee, Park Board, and the Youth Council, City Council selected the eight elements that you see on the screen uh, as the elements that most closely match the articulated community needs and interests. I'll discuss each of these elements um, in detail. Well, brief detail. <laughs> or Ordinance 04857 describes the city's plan to construct a new 86,000 square foot aquatic and recreation center at the former Houghton Park and Ride at Northeast Park, park and Ride site uh, at Northeast 70th Place off I-405. This would be funded separately uh, through the general fund and the ballot measure would fund, um, the ballot measure revenue would fund operations and programming at the center. On the screen, you see the uh, what could represent the aquatics portion of the facility and that would be an eight lane lap pool for lap swimming, swim lessons, swim teams and programming such as water fitness classes. It could also have a warm water recreation pool with water features, a lazy river, and open water areas for daily drop-in use and programming, such as swim lessons and water walking. And finally, it could have a whirlpool that has both recreational use and therapy use. Now you see um, potential recreation components of the facility, and that we hope to have a two-court gym for drop-in use, sports leagues such as volleyball and pickleball, and various programs and events like the Mermaid Ball and Women's Leadership Retreat. It could also have cardio and strength training space for drop-in use and programming, fitness and activity rooms for active types of programming like yoga, dance, and taekwondo, classrooms for a variety of programs from art and music to gaming and language classes, and finally, multi-purpose room space um, including an approximately 200-seat um, community room for rentals, but also a variety of programming and events like Dia de los Muertos and Lunar New Year. The next item is year-round restrooms. This investment would winterize six restrooms and add three new restrooms to uh, create a total of nine additional restrooms that would be open year-round in the Kirkland Park system. The three new restrooms would be placed at McAuliffe Park, North Rose Hill Woodlands, and Terrace Park. And the six current restrooms that would be winterized um, are at Crestwoods, Edith Moulton Park, Winita Bay, Marsh Park, O.O. Denny, and Waverly Beach Park. Park safety and security. This investment would fund an additional park ranger to double our full-time ranger per personnel from one to two and triple our part-time seasonal hours available from 1,200 hours annually to 3,600 hours annually. And this would better uh, cover, serve to cover the city throughout the year and during peak summer season. It would also fund automatic locking gates at six key parks across Kirkland, and that would be Crestwoods, Everest, Houghton Beach, Winita Bay, Winita Beach, and O.O. Denny. The combination of increased rangers to provide outreach, education, and limited enforcement, along with the automatic gates, would serve to increase safety and security in Kirkland's parks. New sports courts. This would fund construction of four new sports courts across Kirkland, and this includes an additional sand volleyball at O.O. Denny Park, and a pickleball complex of three courts with the location still yet to be determined. 
Then we have increased lifeguarding at beaches and water safety education program. This investment would fund increased lifeguard hours at the three lifeguarded beaches in Kirkland, which are Houghton Beach Park, Juanita Beach Park, and Waverly Beach Park. The lifeguarding season would be expanded by four weeks so that the season would um, start in mid-June and go through mid-September. And the daily guard guarded hours will increase by one hour per day throughout that summer season. It also includes a comprehensive water safety education program, including 24-7 loner life jackets at our three lifeguarded beaches, plus the addition of OO Denny. New life rings at all waterfront parks and water safety education signage, as well as outreach activities and information. Then we have teen programs and K-TUB operations. As many of you know, um, the Kirkland Teen Union Building has not operated as a teen center since the start of the pandemic. This would enable seven day a week operation of the Kirkland Teen Union Building as a teen center for Kirkland youth and for drop-in school programs. K-TUB would also have a bilingual behavioral health professional on-site for mental health support services for teens. Programs would include life skills classes, arts and music workshops, activities during the evenings, on weekends, and during school breaks. This would also fund year-round outdoor recreation programs for teens, such as guided hikes, outdoor yoga, water recreation, and winter activities. During the daytime when K-TUB is not being used as a teen center, uh, the building would be used for preschool and adult programs that help address the current wait lists. Then we have the Green Loop Trail Network. The Green Loop Trail has long been a priority um, to formalize the connection of parks and green spaces in the northwestern portion of Kirkland, uh, in particular connect to connect Lake Washington to the top of Finn Hill. This investment would provide some funding for acquisitions, private easements, and development of key priority segments and connections of the trail. And finally, we have park operations, maintenance, and improvements. If Proposition 1 is approved, a new parks fund would be created in the city's budget. This fund would receive the levy lid lift revenue to fund the proposition's capital and operating elements. Some current park operations costs would move to the new levy fund from the general fund. This serves to free up, um, this, sorry, so this serves to protect these investments so that they don't have to compete for funding with services such as police and fire. It also creates capacity in the general fund, which will allow the city to pay debt service on um, the facility construction. On that note, I'll pass it back to Hillary. Great, this is our final slide, and I did want to um, mention that if anyone's interested in the full presentation that's being provided um, out in the community, a recording of it will be on the website very shortly. And there are also details about upcoming open houses that the city will be hosting, and that's all at kirklandwa.gov slash parksballot. Um, so council has several um, options tonight. After the public hearing, council may approve, reject, or modify the resolution. You may ask staff to provide additional information at a later date or take no action on the resolution. Um, and staff are available to answer any process questions you have about the public hearing or resolution. And this concludes our presentation and I'll turn things back to you, Madam Mayor, to hold the public hearing and consider the resolution before council.
follow it up for you. Sorry, was I loud enough? Mayor, is it three minutes? This be, he's gonna do his presentation. So the first point is thank you, Mayor, Deputy Mayor, and Council for inviting us here. And us is Vince Campos, who's in the audience, and myself and Yuri. We were appointed for the for the uh, to represent the uh, citizens who are opposed to this, and we appreciate it. So our starting point is that we think a sensible pool and rec center is a really good idea. What we object to is the forever increasing tax that's being proposed to fund it. So we believe that the right move is to reject the proposition and redo the plan. What's a sensible pool and rec center? Well, got a couple of pools, some kid areas, group exercise rooms, exercise area and an indoor track and, and maybe three gym courts and a couple of community rooms, a lot of what you just saw in the presentation. And Sammamish opened one of these in 2016. They built it at no cost to taxpayers. Well, they used city reserves to build the structure. It is operated and maintained at no cost to taxpayers, no subsidy, it's a break-even proposition. We think that's really cool. It's 69,000 square feet and it costs 33 million to build back in 2016, so that's sensible. Kirkland proposes only two gym courts, so the Sammamish pool is, uh, rec center is actually a little bit better. So what's Kirkland doing? Well, they, Kirkland's proposal is way overloaded. There's a bunch of maker spaces, classrooms with fancy equipment and stuff like that, a 200-person meeting room with a commercial kitchen, and classrooms and meeting rooms. So that's adding a lot of square footage to what most people would, would assume would be just a pool and some gyms. And the, and the Kirkland proposal is to build it using taxpayer money and subsidize the operation using taxpayer money. It's 86,000 square feet, which is 25% more than sensible. It costs $108 million to build, and the city has spent $9 million out of the current budget to work toward buying the Houghton Park and Ride site. So what's the city's move for the, to deal with this overloaded situation? Put a bunch of red balloons on this to try to pull the good ship Kirkland Parks back up out of, out of its sinking condition. But they're really tiny features. Three new restrooms, that's like nothing. Two new sports courts. Well, there's three pickleball courts in, in one sports area and one volleyball. One new park ranger. This is really tiny stuff, with the exception of $500,000 a year for KTUB. It's all just a distraction. And there's usage fees on top of the taxes. You have to pay a membership in order to, to go to the facility. You have to pay for lessons, classes, and events. There's summer camp fees, just like there is today. And your taxes subsidize the operation. Sammamish does it at no cost to taxpayers. Yes, there's a membership fee. It's a bit more than Kirkland's estimated, but the operation is run by the Y under contract with the city. Many Kirkland families today are really happy using the Bellevue Y. The Y is really good at running rec centers. It's their job. The Sammamish Center was built 
on city land by the city, and the city owns it. Uh, they got about a one-sixth build contribution from the Y. And the service area for the Sammamish Center is about the same as Kirkland. It's all of Sammamish, which is about 60,000, 70,000 people, plus a good chunk of Issaquah. And it's part of the community. It's open for access by the community for free on Sundays. They offer membership scholarships to help people that are having trouble. And it provides community access during emergencies, like cooling events and things like that. The Kirkland proposal is to use a property tax increase that goes on forever and increases at at least 1% a year. In addition, new construction adds more to that. But every property tax owners and renters can expect the property tax to go up at least 1% a year, generally. Instead, we propose a bond to be used that would start at about $167 per million and decrease over time as new construction adds to the tax base. And in addition, inflation would reduce the tax paying. And at the end of the bond period, usually 30 years, the tax goes to zero, just like the last tax uh, that we passed to bond to uh, build parks just got paid off. And when I looked, I was paying about a penny per thousand for that because of this green reducing line. So we hear that Kirkland is growing, and it is. According, according to census.gov, it's grown about 10% in 10 years. At the same time, Kirkland spending has almost doubled in 10 years. This is really important. The taxpayers are feeling a lot of pain, and they're looking at a Kirkland budget that not only is increasing every year in the blue bars, but there's adjustments made during the biennium that are enormous, $40 million during 2013-14, all the way up to pre-COVID, 2019-20, $95 million added to the budget during the biennium. So the spend per resident in Kirkland has gone up about 60% in 10 years. Kirkland is rich. The Houghton, the Houghton Park and Ride is a poor location. It's way off center. It's also only served by one bus line. If you put it in the center of the city, the geographic center of the city, you got a lot of bus service, which is really important if you're going to send your kids in middle school to summer camp. And so let's talk about PFEC, the Parks Funding Exploratory Committee, and focus in on the vote between the Houghton and the NKCC location. So we're voting. Let's take a vote for dessert. We were told that the Houghton is a wonderful location. It's cherries for dessert. And we were told that NKCC would work, but it's kind of like avocados. We don't eat avocados for dessert. The site's too small. It's an expensive site. So some of us got together and said, well, how about making some tweaks to this thing? We think that we could get a sensible size and a new site plan at NKCC, and it'd be peaches instead of avocados. We were told, nope, nope, too late, design done, impossible, no changes. So PFEC went back and voted on cherries versus avocados. That's why PFEC chose Houghton. The ordinance that enables this whole thing, and I got to move pretty quickly here, includes at the bottom a really powerful disclaimer that the council may alter, substitute, and amend components as it determines are in the best interest of the city. 
So what does that mean? It says the ballot measure allows the city to do most anything it wants with the new money, the $10.8 million per year, as long as it has to do with parks. It allows the city to shift as much parks money as it chooses out of the general fund into the new park fund. You heard about that in the previous presentation. So we're gonna move money that's currently spent today on parks out of the general fund. That leaves a hole in the general fund. What are you gonna do with that? Well, some amount, which we don't know how much, is gonna fund the bonds for the Aquatic Center, and the rest could be used for anything that the council wants. So that means people are going to go pass a parks measure, and what they're actually doing is spending money, potentially, very likely, on other things. So we wanna redo. We think a parks and rec center is a really good idea. We want one, we want one of these things. We think the tax burden associated with Prop 1 is excessive. It's a permanent property tax bump. It's too expensive for taxpayers. Everybody's going to pay. We want a voter-approved fixed-interest city bond to pay for construction. And the rec center must be self-sustaining somehow. And likely, that means finding an operating partner, not a partner to do naming rights, but an operating partner who can run it more cheaply than, than the city can. The parks parts of Prop 1 are weak distractions that really confuse the discussion. And the city can change most anything about this after the vote. And we're not stuck. Let's redo this thing. Let's, we can replan it quickly. This, we've spent a lot of money doing a lot of homework. There's no reason why it has to be a long time before we come up with an alternative. That's the position of the con committee. Thank you. Thank you very much. Right on 10 minutes. And now Susan Papalagos will present the pro. Good evening, Mayor Sweet, Deputy Mayor Arnold, and Council Members. Uh, my name is Susan Papalardo, and I have lived in Kirkland for 31 years. I've spent the past five years volunteering as a president and co-founder of the nonprofit Splash Forward, whose mission is to support new public aquatic facilities and programs in our region and to expand access to aquatics. I served on the PFEC along with the other members, and I'm chairing the Yes for, for Kirkland Pools and Parks campaign along with our committee that includes seven PFEC members and other community members. Offering better access to swim lessons is an important civic responsibility, particularly for Kirkland, which has many lakefront parks. Drowning is a leading cause of death among youth in the United States, and it's significant risk for adults, especially those in communities of color that historically haven't had access to swim lessons and have generational fear around water. The PFEC was included in the 2023 Aquatics Feasibility Study performed by Opsis Architecture. That study demonstrated that Kirkland could support two aquatic recreation centers and provided a range of facility options in both scope and location. As you heard Lynn present what Proposition 1 includes, the PFAC worked hard for weeks 
and 92% of PFEC agreed on including one new public aquatic and recreation center and the additional park elements that were top rated by residents through recent 2022 parks and open space planning. Um, this is not a fat proposal as the con committee portrays. The ballot measure items are based on significant community input, reflect PFECs and communities priorities, and were supported by the Parks Board and the Youth Council. This proposition supports Kirkland residents, families, adults, and those with special needs. It invests in our social infrastructure, and we need places that connect us, that cross paths, where we have healthy activities and really serves the broadest range of our residents in our community. The essential life skills, the healthy activities, the gymnasiums, the, it's, it's combined. The, the value of combining fitness, aquatics, and community spaces that make an operational sense from the revenue structures that each element provides and that is a value for all ages. It's a membership value that does not exist in private facilities in Kirkland today. That is the scope of an 86,000 square foot facility. It is right sized for our residents for today and to plan for our future growth. The demand, 54 years since Kirkland has built a new public pool. There is not a better time than now. Peter Kirk pool is limited three months a year our waitlist, which you've heard about, 10,500 for swim lessons, 4,200 for waitlist for gyms, fitness, and community spaces. A need identified in 2001, two decades ago. We are ready. We've been waiting. The demand for affordable and accessible options for our community needs to be served today. The value proposition, solving decades long is underinvestment, right-sized, right? -sized, right I've mentioned most of these already. There is room for partnerships. The cost to residents. EFEC also agreed that we should fund the proposition with a reliable, stable, and transparent funding structure that incurred the least cost to taxpayers. And now two PFEC members who are in the minority are leading the con committee saying it's too much. And one of those led the opposition in 2015 to block Kirkland's aquatic needs, using the same familiar language. The con committee wants a redo. They got their redo after they opposed it in 2015. They are a broken record in another, asking for another redo. They're making the same case. Let me share a quote from the 2015 Kirkland Reporter. Quote, the taxpayers in Kirkland have always had the ability to control how much money the city spends in taxes. Every large project that requires a capital investment is paid for with a bond. Operations that are not self-sustaining are subsidized with levies. Let that last sentence sit with you. Proposition 1 is a levy. It is responsible that funds the operation and maintenance of a major civic investment, protecting it with reliable, stable parks revenue that sustains a facility and ensures it will last for 50 plus years. To the point of a bond, Proposition 1 enables the city to issue a bond to pay for capital construction and the remainder of design costs. 
one begins to view the Khan Committee as a perpetual opposition to funding mechanisms. And what does our growing diverse community have to address the demonstrated gap in publicly accessible aquatic and recreational programming? Nothing. Why now? I and members of the Pro Committee have spent the past two weekends canvassing with families from all backgrounds and ethnicities about Proposition 1. What we have heard is a resounding support for Proposition 1. And the painful stories of not being able to sign up for swim lessons to tra or traveling outside of Kirkland for fitness and aquatic programs. It is time to invest in Kirkland by Kirkland residents to raise the level of service where we have great inequities. Stop letting the minority voice delay these essential services. These are not nice to haves. If not now, when? Another decade? We need safe, inclusive places where we connect and participate in healthy activities from swim to gym to our outdoor parks. Families, seniors, adults, and those with special needs need affordable options other than limited and costly private options for aquatic and recreation programs. Proposition 1 is socially and financially responsible and supported by the significant community input and professional analysis. It's time for new pools. Vote yes on Prop 1 and tell your friends to do the same. Thank you. Okay. Um, given the time constraints that we have this evening, our remaining speakers will be limited to three minutes each. And City Clerk will call the first, and we will alternate. The next speaker is Vince Campos, followed by Susan Harris-Huther. Hello, I am Vince Campos. Um, thanks for the opportunity to speak. I was on the PFET committee also, and I was really impressed by the whole process. I was really impressed by the quality of the park staff, the whole city, and I don't I'm not one to just say nice things, so that was honestly true. Um, I talked to lots of people in the city about parks, uh, funding, ballot measures, and uh, one thing that comes up a lot is how much they're being squeezed by property tax increases. Um, Long-time residents aren't sure if they continue to live here. Um, my neighbors, I have retired neighbors, and they're, they're saying it all the time. In 2018, the median uh, home in Kirkland paid 5100 in 2023, five years later, the median home pays 9,100. The median home property tax went up 80% in five years. Now that's not all from Kirkland. Kirkland's only about 12% of that. It's just all the different layers adding up. So we just be very careful about raising property taxes. People are being squeezed. Another thing that comes up a lot is the inequity in Kirkland. It is only a place for high income people. There's no room left for moderate income people. Um, for moderate income people, a 1500 for an aquatic center is, is a lot. Some might choose, but the vast majority would not. Um, if you don't uh, believe me, ask your, your kid's teacher. Ask the person at the checkout counter. Is that affordable to them? And I think you'll find for moderate income people, they, they wouldn't choose to use it. Yet their taxes will help uh, subsidize that for those who can't afford to use it. So I strongly support a system that, um, where all the usage fees are paid for by the users. And it, it wouldn't take that much. The um, Sammamish Aquatic Center that we saw, um, they'd built for $33 million. Uh, today's construction costs, that'd be maybe $55 million. 
half the cost of ours. Um, if it was operated by a vendor like the Y, the two million subsidy for user fees would go away. The 10 million for this could go down to 5 million for just giving up those two things. And we'd have all the other things on Liz's chart, Lynn's chart, all the other things we're doing, except we wouldn't have the commercial kitchen, we wouldn't have the banquet rooms, moderately income people don't go to catered events. Um, I think they're okay without having that. Uh, we could have almost all, all of these features for half the, the price, it seems to me. Um, uh, during the PFEC, uh, we, were not, we were given the option of the Houghton Center operated by the city, the, the, or the North Corkton operated by the city. There was no discussion about using a partner like the Y. That was off the table. Uh, I talked to the um, Gold's Gym manager. He was very surprised the city would try to run this themselves. They have uh, aquatic centers, a couple, they have two in Western Washington. They'd be willing to try to partner with us, so we don't only, don't only have the Y as the option. Thank you, Mr. Compton. Okay, thank you. The next speaker is Susan Harris-Huther, followed by Ksenia Boyer and Nicole McKenzie. My name is Susan Harris-Huther, and I've been a resident of Kirkland for almost 40 years. I was part of the PFAC committee also. I support Proposition 1 for many reasons, but I want to just tell you three. I, I believe we have to have a vision, not just for today, but for tomorrow. For many years, Kirkland's, the visionaries in Kirkland purchased land on the water so that all of us had beach access, and that is one of the beautiful things about Kirkland, and that's called vision. I also believe that the people who built the pool, I heard stories from one of my friends about how they dug the, that pool themselves in 1970 when they built a pool for 15,000 residents. This pool has worked great for a while, but then rapid growth occurred. This year, over 10,000 people could not make reservations for their children to take swim lessons. I believe, as Kirkland residents, we must have a vision and agree to build an aquatic center for today's generation and tomorrow's generation. We need year-round swimming, swimming lessons for all, and a pool for people with disabilities and health issues to experience low-impact water programs. We also need a center that provides many family activities, such as basketball and volleyball and all the other things that were discussed. I believe in inclusion. I currently swim at the Y in Bellevue four days a week. There, I've, I've watched children swim this year, and most of them are children that for whom English is a second language. They and their parents feel very strongly about knowing how to swim. They come from countries where they did not know how to swim. I swim with a lot of parents who are teaching themselves to swim. I believe we owe it to those children that live in this community to continue to provide swimming lessons for these kids all year round. I can't tell you how impressed I am with the people that swim at the Y. I like swimming at the Y, but I also like the idea of having more alternatives for people who don't live in Bellevue. You may ask, why now? I was on the, like I said, I was on PFECT, and I learned many things while I was on PFECT. I learned that the North Kirkland Community Center does not have good soil. Hence, we'd be spending more money on soil and less on a building. I don't think that's a good idea. We should be spending money on the former Houghton lot or uh, park and ride so that we can spend, put more bang into our building and less into the ground. I believe 
as our com community continues to grow, and it will, smaller does not work for me, and it shouldn't work for you. I learned that the, a levy not only provides money for building, but also for maintaining the structure and the equipment. This is not a structure that's going to be done in five or ten years. This is a structure that's going to be used for generations. We need to maintain the equipment. The Y spends a lot of money on equipment because a thank lot you. of the equipment breaks down from thank you, Ms. frequent use. Your time is up. Okay, thank you. The next speaker is Ksenia Boyer, but she has dropped off as a virtual speaker. So we'll move on to Nicole McKenzie. Welcome, Ms. McKenzie. Thank you, Madam Mayor, Deputy Mayor, Council Members. I know that the RCWs allow the Council to hold the public hearing that we're having tonight and to hear from all sides and I say all sides because there can be multiple more than just for or against. I think you're hearing that the con committee is not strictly against. Um, and that the council can then, once the public hearing is over, vote on a resolution either supporting or opposing the ballot measure. Um, I'm here to urge you not to take a position on the proposition, even though you can technically under the law. And there are reasons why. One, it's not necessary. All the recitations that are in the resolution were included in the ordinance which you passed putting the proposition on the ballot. And it's clear from those statements that at least the majority of council supports the proposition in principle. Um, the only statements that are not included in the ordinance itself is an explicit statement that council supports the proposition, but again, that's clear, and then urging residents to vote for it. I also think it's inappropriate for council to weigh in on its own proposition. <laughs> You're putting the thumb, an extra thumb, on the scale either way. And I don't think that's appropriate. I suspect I'm not going to be able to convince you not to vote um, for this resolution supporting the measure. So if you're not going to refrain from putting your thumb on the scale, I urge you to put your thumb on the scale in opposition. And here's why. It's for a lot of the reasons that you've already heard. The council, this council, repeatedly expresses that it cares about affordable housing or, or affordability generally, affordable living in the city, homelessness and inclusiveness. However, the council and its predecessors for at least the last decade has continually taken actions such as this proposition which create and exacerbate these problems, actually, uh, here in Kirkland. We are repeatedly told that the city needs the taxpayers to contribute more money in the form of permanent new taxes. Yet in the last 10 years, the budget has doubled while the population has only increased by 10%. And in the last 
six or seven years, the city's reserves have increased more than 40% from 73 million to over 100 million. As Mr. McKenzie said, the city of Kirkland is rich. We do not need to impose more permanent taxes that live on forever on the residents of Kirkland. Doing so and asking them to, in addition to that, pay almost the same amount of money for a family membership as what the Sammamish Y requires and pay additional money for classes, lessons, camps. That's not addressing affordability in Kirkland. That is in increasing the burden on the families by a lot. It also is not providing for equitable access and inclusivity. It's actually creating further impediments to access. If you want to do this in a way that increases access, use a partnership, use a bond, don't require permanent new taxes. Thank you, Ms. McKenzie. Thank you. The next three speakers are Eric Teutsch, followed by Roshan Parikh and Jory Hamilton. Hi, Council. Thank you for uh, hearing us all this evening. Uh, my name's Eric Teutsch. I am, I was thinking about it actually this evening. My, the first 22 years of my life and the most recent 22 years of my life were spent here in Kirkland. Uh, 14 years in the middle there were, I was led astray and I was in Bellevue. Sorry, I'm back. Um, I will be brief, uh, but I grew up in an era where we did things like Brink Park and rebuilding Kirk, the Marina Park and all of these other beautiful public spaces. And apparently I was four years old when they built my little pool down here, um, which is fantastic for the three months of the year that it's open. Um, I'm here just to support Prop 1 and to encourage you to do the same because this, in my mind, speaks to the next generation, the next legacy that that earlier generation of, civ of civic leaders uh, had. And this is, and it also patches the one hole that we seem to have in Kirkland, which is the lack of aquatics facilities. Um, so all I really wanted to do is encourage you to, uh, to support this and uh, vote yes on Prop 1. So thank you. Thank you, Mr. Deutsch. The next speaker is Roshan Parikh, followed by Jory Hamilton. Thank you. Good evening. Uh, Roshan Parikh, uh, I am a park board member, but tonight I'm representing only my own views in support of the proposition. Um, thankfully, our friends and neighbors on the No campaign agree that the community needs an indoor aquatics and recreation space, but unfortunately, um, they urge rejection of the ballot measure, as you've heard, primarily on the financing model, location, amenities, and who should run the facility. I'll just focus on two interconnected issues, which are the the financing and operations. But before I get to that, I just want to tell you the context in which I worked through this and made a decision. Um, an aquatics and recreation facility has been needed for decades. <laughs> We've made a couple of runs at it and they haven't worked so far. 
We have a huge unmet demand for aquatics and gyms that has only grown with our population. Past attempts to solve this unmet need have failed, including the one eight years ago. If we reject Prop 1, the cost will be higher in the future. The availability of land scarcer. The effort it takes to get to this stage, to bring it to the public, <laughs> likely means years before another attempt can be made if the no campaign prevails. The PROS plan, the Long Range Parks plan, identified aquatics and gyms as, the primary, as a primary investment objective for our community needs. The proposal on the table meets every requirement to have a successful project that would become an intergenerational treasured community asset. Indeed, it would become the premier facility in our system. I understand the point about increased taxes and many of these things. You know, we, we voted for those. Some of those come from other places. But here's, here's what really bothers or is the bottom line for me. The income demographics of Kirkland adjusted for inflation are far greater than what prior generations of Kirklanders experienced. Yet somehow they managed to have the foresight, perseverance, and funding to leave future generations a fabulous system. What will our generation contribute to carry on this legacy? So uh, I won't repeat what the No Campaign said about what their proposal is, but essentially it, it appears to me um, a city-funded uh, bond to construct um, requiring a 60% approval rate um, and a levy, but then we turn it over to um, another party. In their example, it was the Y. And if you think about this, um, the idea that it's no cost to Kirkland taxpayers, that users pay 100% of the cost, well, um, there never is such a thing as a no cost opportunity or op opportunity to do business. Whoever runs that has to get all the rights to run it like any business, right? They need to be able to set the pricing, programming, all of it. And one of the key uh, points about Kirkland's park system is that it's got to be able to accept the broadest possible group of people from Kirkland, all incomes, all ages, and all abilities. And when I read the No Campaign, their thank, proposal thank is you, to Mr. have um, vouchers when they give up the right to have a say on the cost. Sorry. Thank you. I ran a little long. <laughs> the last speaker signed up is Jory Hamilton. Welcome, Mr. Hamilton. Hey, thank you. I want to say thank you to all the council members here today. And I want to say thank you to Ken, Vince, and everyone that spoke from the opposition or the con committee, I should say. And I want to say that because I saw uh, a gentleman earlier that said some things that were disrespectful. And I wanted to say that everyone here is incredibly brave that I saw speak. Uh, everyone gets nervous up here. And I, I want to make sure that it's known that even if there are people that disagree, I believe in this process. I first heard about this project or a similar project uh, reading from a uh, very engaged council member in the community on social media. And this is back in 2015, around that time. And that's what inspired me to get involved was council member Nixon. And I think that people who are financially, fiscally responsible uh, would look at a certain slide where it was from the comm committee where I look at the y-axis and I think it was a little limited. I also think it was a little misleading because it doesn't account for inflation where you have a 1% increase versus the rate of inflation increases, I believe, like 3%, 6%. Some old fact check me with that. I, as an individual, 
live in a very low demographic as far as income. I, I double checked and it's on public record, but I have $10.15 in my bank account, $9 in available credit. And I, as that person in this demographic, say that the cost is something that I'm willing to accept for the quality of life for generations to come. I mentioned bravery, and I think that you are brave for taking the positions that you take with this as civil, civil and civic leaders. And I thank you for your time. Thank you. Oh, what actually one last thing. Uh, kids need pools, swimming teams. Uh, it's really high demand. Um, the location in North Kirkland, I don't think it'd accommodate that. The lower Southern location, um, I think will, and that the, the, sub, the Houghton Park and Ride is a location that I believe that is basic, basically secured. One of the issues with the 2015 situation was that uh, we were looking for a location, whereas then I believe this is guaranteed. So people, again, who are uh, risk averse, you essentially have a guarantee on a location, which reduces the risk of getting this done. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Hamilton. Is there anyone else who would like to address the council at this time on this issue? Seeing none, I will declare this public hearing closed. Uh, do I have a motion regarding resolution 5602? Deputy Mayor. Second. Second. It's been moved by Council Member or De Deputy Mayor Arnold, seconded by Council Member Pascal to um, adopt resolution 5602. Any discussion? Deputy Mayor. Thank you. I'm glad that we had this opportunity this evening to hear from both sides tonight and hope that it was a useful forum for the people of Kirkland. We've heard tonight that both sides support a pool and rec center in Kirkland. Um, and uh, beyond that, it's a bunch of details. As we've heard from the speakers, a lot of faith was put in the process where we brought a lot of people in the community together in PFEC to develop this. And in, in the end, we want it to be our facility, priority for Kirkland residents, programming responsive to Kirkland priorities versus other regional users. We want to meet Kirkland's deeds now for, and in the future. And we want to support our parks. Both sides have mentioned this. Prop 1 makes funding permanent and protected for parks. So uh, in balance, hearing both the process we've gotten to this point and the feedback for the community, I am in support of Resolution 5602. Thank you. Thank you. Council Member Curtis. Thank you, Madam Mayor, and thank you, everyone. And I do appreciate everybody coming forward tonight. This conversation reminded me of the robust conversations we had during the PFEC process. Um, I will also be supporting this resolution, and I'm just going to walk us through the process again because I lived it for nine months. But this ballot measure honors our significant community engagement process. We could have not been more diligent in working through the very carefully the components and funding structure of this ballot measure. First through the pros plan creation, which had significant community input and where the community asked for these parks improvements. 
And then through nine months of the parks funding exploratory process, the PFEC committee comprised of all walks of life were diligent, thoughtful, and dedicated. They evaluated, they questioned, they debated, they decided, and they recommended. And after they made that recommendation, we went out to the park board and the youth council for their input. And we took the additional step to do a statistically valid community survey, which supported the park boards and the PFEC's recommendations. PFEC determined the ballot measure components. They debated the location and recognized that the most cost-effective accessible location was the Houghton Park and Ride. They looked at the Sammamish model. Sammamish pool is too small, too crowded. It's exclusively a membership club and the city has no say in how the facility is programmed or who is hired. We want a facility that meets the need of our community and not the needs of an outside organization. PFECT evaluated the financial model and decided that a bond would not provide the long-term investment in the facility. And we all know about pools who are on their last legs because there wasn't operational income to do necessary infrastructure and maintenance. There is a very real need now for these investments in order to serve our community now and in the future, and there is no better time to make this investment. To be clear, this ballot measure was designed by our community, the Park Board and our PFIC members, and I will be supporting this resolution. Thank you. Thank you. Any further discussion? Councilmember Blass? Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. So uh, thank you for um, everyone who participated in the uh, public hearing. Um, I've, uh, I, like some of my council members, have attended neighborhood associations where we've seen the pros and, and cons committees make their presentations. And there's been a great deal of robust um, discussion. Really appreciate it. And I really appreciate also the remarks uh, from my uh, colleagues tonight. Um, the one thing I wanted, you know, I am going to be supporting um, Resolution 5602, and one sort of important, uh, there's three sort of numbers that sort of jump out from the presentations we've seen. Um, one is the uh, $280 of uh, additional property, additional levied property tax on a $1,000 home. That's in the um, city's explanatory statement in the voters' pamphlet. Um, the other is, uh, you know, the con committee, and I think this comes from the PFEC materials, um, there's, a, there's a forecast of a $1,560 cost for a, probably a family of four, I imagine. Uh, that's the metric we always use for such things um, to, to use the facility. Um, the, other, the third number, so that's two numbers. The third number is the number that um, apparently Sammamish model and Sammamish currently uses, which I think is $1,848 if I wrote it down properly, and that was in the con committees. Uh, presentation too. The interesting thing about those three numbers is if you take Kirkland's numbers, which is 1,560 plus 280, it actually adds up to $1,840, which is $8 cheaper than the Sammamish model. Kirkland controls, the, builds the facility. The people of the city of Kirkland, the taxpayers who built it, get to control it. They don't have to hand it over to a 50-year lease uh, to, it's not just an operator in Sammamish, it's an entity that actually leases that and controls it, not the people of the city, the taxpayers who paid for it. That's really meaningful to me. And that operator slash tenant is not adding to the Green Loop Trail. They're not making our parks more secure. They're not building any additional 
uh, courts, whether they're volleyball um, or pickleball. Uh, they're not doing any teen programming um, at our teen union building. On and on and on. There's so many things that the people of the city of Kirkland, this average family I'm imagining who's paying $280 in taxes on a $1,000 assessed value, uh, plus even if they're spending the 1560 on the facility, this is less than Sammamish and a whole lot more for the people of the city of Kirkland. I think it's pretty obvious, and so that's why I'm supporting this. I just wanted to call attention to that because that was really meaningful to me. Thanks. Thank you very much. Interesting numbers. Anybody else? Well, I'm just going to make one comment. I think that we have been steadfast in following our own procedures. We we did our pros plan. We went we went through the whole process. We brought PFEC together. We did what PFEC asked us to do. We further added what the parks um, commission wanted us to add. Um, we got to this place, and this place is where we ask our voters if they're willing to support it. So I very solidly feel like we need to take the next step, and I'm ready to proceed with that. Therefore, the question is on the motion uh, to pass resolution 5602, moved by Deputy Mayor Arnold, seconded by Council Member Paschal. Uh, all those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? No. Motion carries six to one. Okay. Therefore, we are, it is nine o'clock. Do you want to go ahead and put the consent calendar on and then we'll take a short break? Okay. Before we have a motion, I'd like to ask Deputy Mayor Arnold uh, to present the audit of accounts. Thank you, Madam Mayor. We had payroll in the amount of $4,264,905.21 and bills in the amount of $4,348,876.99. Thank you. Can I get a motion to adopt the consent calendar? So moved. So moved. Moved by Councilmember Black. Second. Seconded by Councilmember Falcone. Any discussion? All those in favor, please. Any Anything other than resolutions? No. Uh, all those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? The motion carries. Okay, we are at our business agenda. We have a very brief business, business presentation, but I think we'll take a 10-minute break beforehand. Okay? So we'll be back at 9.18. Thank you. We are back from brief break for our business agenda, and the business item this evening is a request for authorization of two additional full-time equivalent positions. City Manager. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. So uh, here to make this presentation is our Public Works Director, Julie Underwood, in person, and we might have Michael Olson, our Finance Director, remotely to talk about the second position. I want to emphasize that neither of these positions require a budget adjustment, but we do need the authority from the Council for the additional positions. So with that, I will turn it over to Julie Underwood. Good evening, Council. Happy to present this on behalf of Public Works and Finance Administration. We're asking for your authorization for two additional FTE positions. Um, the first position 
is our CIP supervisor. Currently, we have a um, LTE or limited term position, the active transportation manager position. And when this position goes away, which it is intended to go away at the end of this year, this calendar year, we would like this position to uh, come aboard replacing that active transportation planner um, in evaluating what we needed instead of continuing with that um, actual active transportation planner position. We're modifying it to a CIP supervisor. So this will um, be one of three under the CIP division. Um, we are also asking for a payroll analyst to support staff transitions. Again, in finance and administration, we're, we have some um, uh, retirements that we're planning for. So I, I look at these two positions as really um, having us plan ahead. Um, so we need your authority to do this. We can do this with current salary saving, savings. Um, and part of asking for an FTE versus a limited term position really does help us with our recruitment efforts. Um, typically, um, uh, candidates are looking for uh, more permanent, stable positions and not those that are considered temporary. Um, as you might recall, you adopted the Transportation Benefit District uh, this past year. However, those funds uh, don't uh, get collected until 2024. However, we are using school safety zone cameras to implement that program now. We um, I'm very pleased to report we have started quite a few of those projects in design and hope to begin going into construction in 2004. Um, so really, if we can get your authorization, we will start recruiting right away and our fingers are crossed that we can bring in a CIP supervisor. We're planning for the first part of November. Um, and again, there is enough salary savings to fund um, through this year and all the way through 24. And then for the payroll um, analyst position, again, anticipating transitions um, in the future and payroll has been very complex. We have new, um, as as you all know, since you approved them, new employee um, bargaining contracts in place. This position would provide redundancy and coverage. Um, and again, we would be funding this through salary savings in the finance and administration department. So um, council, if you have any questions, but we are um, asking for you to um, approve these requests. Thank you. Uh, council questions? Can I get a motion? Sure. Councilmember Black. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I move to approve authorizing two new FTE positions, bringing the total authorized citywide FTE count to 774.25. Second. It's been moved by Councilmember Black, second by Councilmember Falcone. Uh, any discussion? All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Motion is approved. It takes us to city reports or city council reports. Uh, Councilmember Nixon. Thank you, Councilmember Black. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. So it has been an unusually busy time. Um, there's a couple things I um, I just want to call uh, call out for um, folks in the community, um, and then a couple things I really want my colleagues. I want to mention to my colleagues. Um, 
uh, in particular. So um, I'm sh we'll probably all talk about how great City Hall, City Hall for All was, but it truly was on Saturday uh, the 9th, um, and the staff just did a tremendous job. We've heard uh, discussion of that earlier in our meeting today, but just thanks again to the staff who put on a great program and 3,000, um, I think is the number of folks that came and, and participated in that and enjoyed uh, the, the, um, the hospitality of the city of Kirkland, so that was great. Um, on Friday the 8th, I attended the joint meeting of the King County Transportation Boards, and that includes Eastside Transportation Partnership, and I sent my colleagues um, a summary of the, what was discussed at that meeting. Um, on September 14th, uh, our racer agency, uh, which uh, Kirkland is found, a founding um, uh, jurisdiction in, had a, vi a visioning session. It was one of, I think, three visioning, vis visioning sessions uh, held by the uh, leadership of the racer agency uh, to hear from uh, community members uh, and, uh, and leaders and um, uh, mental health professionals and um, including some, some of our representatives at the state level, uh, just hearing uh, what the vision is, again, for uh, our racer agency to help inform um, how that new uh, organization goes about doing the important work that it's doing on community response. Um, I, was able, I was lucky to be able to attend the City of Kirkland Employee Appreciation Barbecue, which is another wonderful event. We're getting really good at throwing really beautiful events during really beautiful weather. Um, uh, the weather was beautiful. Uh, city manager uh, made many heartwarming remarks about some of our amazing staff and gave out awards, and that was really special. I heard a bunch of names that would all be very familiar to us uh, because we've all talked about how wonderful um, the staff is in general, but some of these specific folks um, who were uh, given um, uh, recognition during the, the, the appreciation barbecue. Um, many of us, if not almost all of us, I think maybe some of us were under the weather, um, but we got to attend Sound Transit's groundbreaking uh, for the I-405 85th Street uh, BR bus rapid transit station. So, uh, I had no idea how well attended that event was going to be. I didn't realize how big it was, but we had dignitaries, for lack of a better term, uh, from uh, all over the region coming to Kirkland to celebrate um, that project. Um, and um, it was kind of folks to uh, give recognition to our council for the hard work that we've done. And of course, that's hard work that the staff has done and the planning commission has done and many others and the city and the community itself on um, sort of if our vision for getting the most out of that um, uh, sound transit investment. Um, I meant to attend the city of Kirkland Health Fair, which was just last Saturday in 916. I wasn't able to. I don't know if any of my colleagues were, but maybe if they were, they can um, they can talk about that. But uh, again, just uh, proud of the city for um, hosting those kind of events. Um, and that, uh, that, that's enough. That wraps it up. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Pascal. I have uh, no updates. Okay. Deputy Mayor Arnold. Thank you, Madam Mayor. A couple of different things. The I-405 State Route 167 Executive Advisory Group met on September 15th. And I sent email to the council about this with details, but uh, during the bid opening that included the North End 405 improvements at Kirkland at advocated for. It is um, uh, over uh, budget estimates by about $250 million. While that bid is going to go forward, um, the state will be updating its funding plan, which may include adjustments to project timing. 
uh, needing additional funding for the legislature or increasing toll rates. I recommend, I wanted to make sure everybody was aware of that because I recommend that the transportation work group and the legislative work group both uh, monitor this as the proposals for uh, dealing with that gap move forward. Uh, secondly, on Friday, September 15th, the State Building Code, code Council um, uh, released a proposal for energy code modifications for public comment. Uh, the energy code maintains the legislative mandate that the Building Code Council has to increase efficiency each update towards 2030 goals. But in order to comply with a recent ruling by a three-judge panel in the Ninth Circuit's Court of Appeals, uh, these uh, proposed modifications no longer require heat pumps, but instead provide a pathway for fossil fuel appliances, along with other efficiency measures. Um, if folks have feedback on these proposals, you can look at them at sbcc.wa.gov. Uh, in addition, the SBCC delayed implementation date of all of our updated codes to March 15, 2024. It allows us to get these energy code changes in by the end of the year, have them sit through a legislative session, which is uh, required to give legislators uh, a chance to review, and then allow adoption of all the new codes, building, fire, plumbing, mechanical, et cetera, all at once. Uh, finally, on September 6th, Woodenville removed their first spike from their segment of the East Trail. And so they are, are on their journey of building an interim trail that will connect to the Cross Kirkland Quarter and the broader East Trail. Long time coming. Great. Thank you. Councilmember Curtis. Thank you, Madam Mayor. And um, Councilmember Black outlined all the things I've missed over the past week. Thank you, COVID. Um, I did want to say that the C-Spot spot Splash event was fabulous and another example of city staff going above and beyond and creating great events. And I very quickly wanted to thank everyone who applied to our Transportation Commission. We are so fortunate that we have so many community members that are willing to lend their time and talent to um, making Kirkland a wonderful place to live, work, and play. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Falcone. Um, thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, yeah, I would have had a lot of updates tonight if it weren't for darn COVID. <laughs> I've also missed a lot of these events um, over the past couple of weeks. So uh, I apologize that I wasn't able to attend a lot of these amazing, especially during welcoming week. There were so many wonderful events that were scheduled um, that I wasn't able to attend, but I've heard great things about all of these events and I don't want to share germs. So that's why I am home tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, just a couple things. Um, I, I just have to say city hall for all because everybody did and because it was absolutely fabulous. Um, the health fair, I was able to make a brief appearance there. There's more food than last year. Um, and people were having a wonderful time. The lineup for, or flu shots, crazy. Uh, I also attended last Friday, I think there was a mayor's luncheon hosted by Leadership Eastside. Dory Hamilton was there. Um, and uh, it was a great conversation with 10 different mayors. Um, a lot of it focusing on civility and government. So it was, it was a very good discussion. Um, then we, I went Friday afternoon to the Friday market. I hadn't been down to the Friday market yet this year. 
Um, if you have not been, I, I strongly suggest you check it out. That They have an amazing setup this year. Uh, also, on Saturday, I went to the Winita Welcoming Picnic. Uh, it was broadly advertised and broadly attended. There were hundreds of people there um, having an, a, a wonderful time with booths all over the place, including some of our folks working on the comp plan. Uh, RWQC leadership meeting yesterday. Uh, Council Member Balducci is she is blowing up RWQC in wonderful ways that is going to result in, I think, a, a truly accountable process for both the RWQC and for the technical groups, um, MUPAC. And then finally, I had a long meeting today with Cascade Water Alliance around the contact tracking process between Tacoma and Seattle. Um, regionally, we actually have a surplus of water over the next 50 years. Um, but Seattle is out looking for more supply of water because they're concerned um, that, um, that they're going to need more. But nobody's having this regional conversation. So some of the alternate alternatives that we're looking at as Cascade is sort of being a facilitator as we negotiate between Seattle and Tacoma for our future water supply, um, negotiating how we tie in and whether or not we actually can end up building some redundancy in the system, which would be a truly healthy thing for the region. Um, so it's been a very interesting body of work. Seattle started with uh, a discussion that said maybe maybe they'd go out to 10 years, and then they went to 40. <laughs> um, so we're expecting more negotiations with them in the next couple of weeks. <coughs> but it's very interesting work. And with that, I'll turn it over to our city manager. All right. <clears throat> Thank you, Member. So we do have one uh, legislative request memo uh, response that we want to present tonight before I get to the rest of my report, um, and that's on child care uh, for board and commission meetings. Um, I did have a conversation with Councilmember Falcone and um, I, th I think we maybe got this a little more narrow focus than she had originally intended, so she might want to speak to that, but we did um, have the LRM in your packet and we're going to present to that uh, tonight and looking for a council direction on next steps. Um, so here to kick us off is Hillary De La Cruz, our management analyst in Parks and Community Services. Thank you, Hillary. Um, hello again, Madam Mayor and Council Members. I'm back this evening to present the LRM um, requested by Councilmember Falcon that asks staff to explore options to provide child care for board and commission meetings. And I have three brief slides that build on the memorandum that was in your council packets. Um, so this slide highlights a number of major impacts of offering child care at board and commission meetings, which include the potential to increase participation by people who have children at home, the city signaling to parents and legal guardians that their voices are important in city leadership. It could also eliminate barriers to participation that are faced when people with children at home don't have an option of where their children could go during a meeting. <coughs> Excuse me. And if council decides to move forward in the direction of offering childcare, the impact to city staff would be additional staff hours and financial resources needed for this increased level of service. Um, so this slide. Um, includes a list that was in your LRM of the series of items that would need to be explored, researched, and calculated um, kind of to do any of the options presented. And this includes items such as communicating with current board and commission members, 
researching requirements and guidelines and establishing policies and programs designed for new offerings. And some of those would be necessary for only certain options. Um, and so this kind of exploration process would um, take an estimated 30 to 60 hours of staff time, depending on how many options council may want to explore. And then finally, we have the options that were presented in the memo. Um, and as out, outlined in the LRM, staff are providing three potential options for moving forward. The first option is to proceed with polling board and commission members to determine the need and revisit with council. And the kind of question with that option would be, if there's no current need, would council still want to proceed at this time? Um, the second option would be to proceed to develop a program of offering a stipend for childcare services for board and commission members. And the third option would be to proceed to develop an analysis of a city-provided childcare for consideration, which would be either employee or contractor, and bringing that full option to council. Um, so that concludes my very brief presentation. And I know, as Kurt mentioned, um, I know there's some different thoughts. And um, this scope was what was in the LRM um, that we have here. But happy to hear any questions you have or additional feedback. Council questions, comments? Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, thank you so much, Hillary. I, you know, as a mom of young kids, as I like to say, um, you know, this is something that is near and dear to me. I, I personally often struggle with finding flexible, affordable, quality childcare. And this was throughout all my volunteer service with um, the city and in the community and up until including serving on city council. So I know this struggle firsthand and this barrier firsthand. And I can only imagine uh, for folks who don't have some of the privileges that I have, such as having a supportive spouse who, you know, co-parents with me and, and is able to watch uh, my children and a lot, our children in a lot of uh, circumstances. So I just want to say thank you uh, personally and thank you on behalf of all the, um, the parents in the community who may not even consider themselves yet as folks that could volunteer in the community because uh, of this barrier. So I really appreciate your work on that. Um, as the city manager mentioned, my intent with this LRM, this covers certainly a really big part of it, um, was to be able to pilot some sort of small uh, childcare provision for members of the public who want to participate in city meetings, whether that be uh, town halls or um, like our public hearing that we had earlier this evening, serving on boards and commissions, serving on city council, um, all these different ways that, that parents may want to participate in city council meetings, particularly ones that happen in the evenings when childcare is a little bit harder to find. Um, so for boards and commissions, this really ties into the DEB conversation also that we were having earlier this evening with the roadmap with trying to diversify boards and commissions. And we, there was also an, uh, an item on there related to providing stipends for participation in, um, in volunteering with the city. And so I like how that ties in because I do, I can see us moving forward with the um, stipend option for the, this focus for boards and commissions, but I also want to build into that the flexibility of we are also, as we know, looking at options for childcare for employees. And one of the things that we've asked staff to go back and look at are some of the options to fill the gaps. And one of those options that's being considered is backup care. Uh, because to me, this issue is not just about money. It's about finding, like I said, finding that childcare, which oftentimes can be challenging during non-business hours if folks want to participate uh, and on a city board or commission. And so I, I do support the stipend option. 
And I would like for us to keep the option open as we explore the backup care option to explore if we could also extend that to our board and commission members as an option instead of the stipend for child care. So that's the board and commission part of this. Like I mentioned, I intended that this be a little bit broader, but also a little bit of a lighter lift for staff, uh, that we pilot something, you know, it could be as simple as having, um, you know, during, like I mentioned, town halls or pub the public comment period during city council meetings, having, you know, a couple staff members out in um, the lobby or at a room close by that has some toys and coloring pages and things just for parents while they're giving their public comment or while they're participating in a meeting to be able to leave their kid there for, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes or so, so that they can participate. I would love to see if there are uh, less complicated options like that that we could pilot. I know that we, for example, uh, Councilmember Curtis mentioned when we um, first talked about this LRM that PFAC had something like that. I remember Councilmember Pascal um, in his um, other, wearing his other hat in his professional capacity had um, worked at a meeting for another city that I believe was on a Friday evening, but it was in an evening and they provided pizza for participants and also provided some uh, drop-in childcare where there were some uh, folks who were engaging with kids during that time so that their grown-ups could participate in the public engagement. So those are the two parts. I know I've said a lot of words, so I want to summarize. I support for boards and commissions, the stipend with the option of backup care. I want to keep that as an option as the staff explore that for employees and look at if there's like a really easy, simple way that we can provide um, that, that childcare for folks who want to participate in public meetings. Thank you. Well, thank you. Any further discussion? Councilmember Nixon. Um, thank you, uh, Madam Mayor. So um, I, I, I share Councilmember Falcone's interest in exploring um, all the different options further. <clears throat> when I read uh, about all the complexities, much of which I uh, understood um, from previous experiences, uh, you know, with facilities and staffing and costs and insurance, liability, all of these things, background checks, everything that would have to go into, <clears throat> even operating a program for 30 minutes, uh, just the, the legal requirements to provide childcare are very large. Mm -hmm. um, the stipend program was very attractive. Um, but as Council Member, Member Falcone notes, that simply having the money doesn't mean you're going to find somebody who can care for your kids at your home or, or something like that. Um, so it's a, it's a difficult, um, it's, a, it's difficult to figure out how to do this in a, in a practical way. Um, you know, like for example, I wouldn't want to pay to have childcare workers in City Hall for every public meeting if nobody's gonna bring a child with them. That would just be an unnecessary expense. So would we have a reservation system where people have to request that a few days in advance and sign up online? It gets very complicated very fast. I think that we ought to do the analysis about that 
and what all the complications would be to, to be able to understand it more deeply. Because um, I agree, it's, it's a real need. And if we're going to enable people who have young children to, to reasonably participate um, and engage with the city, then there needs to be some kind of a solution. So um, I would proceed to do the analysis of all the options that were presented. That's my view. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Pascal. You know, I, I I like when I first read this, the stipend really st stood out. Like I think others have expressed, um, provides that flexibility. Um, I see our boards and commissions do change over time, quite often. Um, it's targeted. It's seems like it would be easier to to try out and and implement. And uh, you know, assuming you can find a a childcare provider, I mean, it's ultimately better for the kids. And these meetings are at night and. I would assume that the meetings go past their bedtime. So um, that just seems like a, something smart to, to, to take a closer look at. The question I have for kind of the other analysis is just, it seems like a lot of work. And I'm just wondering how that fits in with time and other priorities. And is that something that, that you think that we can, we can undertake or is that going to shift something off of our plate? So, uh, speaking on behalf of multiple departments, I would say that the capacity to do it between now and the election, or right after the election, given the focus of the Parks Department on the ballot measure presentations and outreach, and then sort of the follow-up implementation is probably pretty low. Um, if we targeted the idea of board and commission recruitment, and you know that's going to happen in March, and sort of backing up from that and saying, could we have something to bring to the council in like January, February? We probably could get it done and have it as an opportunity for the council to debate before you recruit. But it, it, is, it is a bit of a lift between now and then. And certainly in the next couple months, it would be hard. Okay, thank you. Deputy Mayor Arnold. City Manager, I'm glad you brought up the time frame. That's one thing I think that is kind of been missing in some of the responses of saying, here's the work that would be required, but not necessarily the time frame. And maybe that's something that could be part of future LRMs. I, um, Good point. I want to make sure I'm clear on what, what you were um, saying for what you could bring forward in the first quarter of 2024. Is that the analysis for option two, for option three, or, or is it for the analysis of option three? And feel free to jump in, staff. I, I'm thinking that option two, the stipend is relatively straightforward, um, and we could have, you know, that's really about deciding an amount and what you'd want to provide, right? And you could you could have that pretty straightforward with something added to the board and commission interview process where you ask people would they want child care, you know, if they were applying, or is that a barrier for them? I think the analysis to come up with the actual options for how you'd provide in facility child care um, may or may not be able to hit that target. That that would depend, I think, just on, on kind of what we learned. But if I don't know if Lynn wants to add anything to that or Hillary. I would just add that um, actually uh, City Manager Triplett had um, recommended earlier that the recruitment process is a great way to actually do some of the surveying that we're interested in. Um, so we could ask uh, anyone interested or anyone applying um, what are their needs? What types of needs? Which of these services would meet those needs? So it's, it's just a really great opportunity to do some of that research. But I think sketching out the potential implications of cost and liability, we could have that ready, I would say, probably in a couple months of the first two months of January, February. 
So as far as the priorities, I, I support going forward with the, the stipend. I think that would help remove a barrier, and um, it seems like a straightforward first step. I agree that we should pull boards and commission applicants on, the, on this when we go through the recruiting. Um, and as we're looking at these future analysis, um, I um, would like to have that information, but I um, am open to that, um, the due date for that sliding, because it sounds like it, it would be a push even to get it in January, February, or March. Thank you. I think we've pretty much head nodded here. Okay. Um, it feels like two is for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, one might wait till recruitment time, and then a sliding scale on three. All right, so I think, so our process, and I, I take your point, Deputy Mayor, about it would be good for us to put in, if you said yes to this option, when and how do we think we could do it, I think that that's a great uh, iteration to the, the LRM process. Uh, but I think a motion would be helpful. So um, what I'm hearing is a motion to uh, proceed with developing the stipend option and then also to do the work for what a um, in-house daycare option might be and to have the goal being both those options available by the time we recruit for boards and commissions um, in March of next year. Councilmember Black, can I get a motion? Uh, can I just say so moved? Oh, wait one second. Uh, second. Okay, it's been moved by Councilmember Black, seconded by, seconded by Councilmember Falcone. Any further discussion? Councilmember Black? Sorry, thank you, Madam Mayor. One quick comment. I just, um, when we're thinking about this and when we're thinking about what questions we might ask during recruitment process, I just want us to be, I, I'm sure we'll be thinking about this a whole lot more and how to, how to ask that question and solicit that information in such a way that we're very cautious about that that's, that doesn't become... Um, uh, you know, uh, an inappropriate question that forces a potential applicant to identify, uh, uh, you know, a special need that they might have that we may or may not be able to fulfill and in that circumstance have them feel like um, their answer to that question was the reason they, you know, perhaps they didn't get an appointment. So we'll have to, I'm just going <laughs> to, if I'm over here look, staring up at the ceiling looking, you know, uh, Thinking that's what I was over here thinking about was just how we make sure we do that really well. Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I agree with Councilmember Black, and just to add to that, also uh, we'll want to be very mindful to not be uh, giving the appearance of promising something that we haven't decided on yet, as far as childcare options as well as we go through that process and ask about that. Um, I just wanted to <clears throat> clarify that um, the motion, I, I think I heard some consensus of this, but the motion includes for part three for it to be beyond boards and commissions. Is that the intent or do I need to make an amendment? I think, like you, might think, I think you might need to make an amendment. Or a separate motion. Yeah. Okay, I'll wait to make a separate motion then. The question is on the motion as described by the city manager to proceed with the stipend, uh, move forward with developing the analysis as we can 
and proceed with our next year's process. That it. All those in favor, Ma please. Madam Mayor. Yes. I'm not sure if the um, mm -hmm. the analysis piece uh, point of clarification was. I'm not sure if that was part of the motion. Is, isn't that the part that Councilmember Falcon may be making a third uh, follow-up motion on? It's what I understood to be part of. Uh, yeah, so my intent was to say that we'd bring back the options of three in the sense of the analysis of what it would take to provide in-house, but not a decision to provide in-house. Um, All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Motion passes. Or All those in favor. Getting tired out. <clears throat> Councilmember Falcom. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, I'm going to be writing this motion on the fly, so bear with me. Um, I move that we ask staff to additionally come back to us with options for a drop-in childcare option of some sort for folks who want to, members of the public who want to participate in public meetings such as town halls and items from the audience during council meetings. Second. Moved by Councilman Falcone, seconded by Councilmember Curtis, to make this available to for other public meetings. Um, question. Question. Just so I understand, Councilmember Falcone, uh, are you asking for the analysis? Or are you asking to implement that? I wasn't clear. Just for an analysis, similar to item three, or almost as an addition of, of expanding the universe of the potential meetings that could be included for option three. Okay, thank you. Any further discussion? I'm gonna make a comment here. I'm not gonna support this motion at this time. Um, I would rather see us get the rest of the work done and find out if it's gonna work uh, before we expand it. So I'm not gonna be supporting the motion. Any further discussion? Councilmember Black. A question, and I may be a question for staff, uh, and I apologize if I'm putting you on the spot, but um, the motion that we just recently adopted, the analysis bit um, that uh, we're, that the staff is going to be doing, how is there any sense of how much of that's going to inf would inform the uh, the subject matter that that Councilmember Falcone's separately. Um, Asking the city, the staff to analyze. Go ahead. I would say it's similar, probably similar, but yeah. there's, there are some certainly nuances to a non, like if you know you have a board and commission meeting on X date or you know you have a council meeting on Y date, but you don't know that you're going to yeah. have city hall for all or a town hall, there's there's certainly nuance to it. But uh, Leonard, Hillary, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I think the only thing I would add is the um, kind of the more potential certainty from board and commission members of knowing when they may or may not have and what number of children they have at a certain point in time, whereas for general public, that certainty wouldn't be there. So that'd be something to an analyze alongside. But I think some, you know, I imagine we come back with an analysis of a similar type of staffing model for the operations, um, but that would be kind of the different variable to figure out. Madam Mayor, can I ask a follow-up question? Mm -hmm. Let me ask the question the other way. If, if you're gonna go ahead and do this analysis, does it make sense to do the additional analysis that Hillary you're describing, which is okay? We've analyzed it from the standpoint of a participant that we who's a known known quantity. Uh, we know what their situation is because they're a member of our board and commission. We can communicate very easily with them. Um, 
is there some is there some efficiency in going ahead and do the additional analysis for the situation that is the subject matter of uh, Councilmember Falcone's motion, which is for those members of the public where we don't know their their situation and what their needs are. It, I know that's a, putting everybody on the spot, but I'm just oh, curious what your they're, they're what would your reaction to that be? I'll turn it in for kind of a workload question. Yeah, they, they definitely go together. A lot of what we're researching for boards and commissions is also going to be applicable for drop-in. There's just some additional complications of the, the drop-in process that we would need to, to add into the research. But it's I, I wouldn't see that as its own separate entity. If, if we're going to do it, it seems like we should do them together and bring forward the whole kit and caboodle. <laughs> okay, Thank you, Director. That's very helpful. Well, and I think one thing we need to keep in mind is um, for boards and commissions, physical presence at the meetings is very important, right, for effectively, effectively working. Um, whereas most of our public meetings, like whether it's participating in a public hearing, public comment, um, even town halls and those kind of things, uh, remote participation is a meaningful option, especially if people are only going to be speaking for five minutes or something like that. And so um, we, we might want to include in the analysis which types of meetings specifically would uh, remote participation not work, where someone would either have to choose between staying home with their kids or uh, and not participating or having childcare to participate. So um, it, 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 I agree with you, Madam Mayor, it gets, there, there are different issues. Uh, some of the foundational parts of it are the same, um, but, it, but it, it, it is also quite different, I think. Um, uh, I think so long as we have a robust commitment to remote participation by members of the public, um, it covers a lot of the, the situations we're talking about. Thank you. Thank you. Any further discussion? Question is on the motion mo made by Council Member Falcone, second by Council Member Curtis, to extend the analysis to incorporate what she said. Drop in options. Yeah. <laughs> All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? No. Motion carries. Six to one. Thank you. Um, okay, and on, I don't have any other updates except calendar report to see if anyone wanted to make any changes to the calendar before we do our executive sessions. Yeah, I'm going to go straight to the executive session and save public additional public comment for afterward. Is that okay? I know. <laughs> So we will now go into executive session to discuss potential litigation. We will expect to reconvene our regular meeting at approximately 10.30, 10.45. Yeah, I'd say 10.45. 10.45? Um, two topics. And that is it. And we will come back at that point to adjourn the meeting. For purpose of adjourning. Thank you.